Welcome to Album Divers. This is a podcast created by two music lovers who still remember listening to albums from start to finish the way the artists intended. We give history, track-by-track analysis, and delve into the music lyrics of some of the best albums of the past and today. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Welcome to Album Divers. I'm Shane. And I'm Trevor. On this podcast, we discuss two albums per month. One of us chooses a new album from this calendar year, and the other chooses an album that's been around a while. That's right. We're on our 2020 pick for this time, and that was your pick, Shane. What do you got for us today? I chose the new album Marigold, which was released by the band Pine Grove in January of this year, 2020. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really glad you picked this album. I was a big fan of their 2016 release, Cardinal, and then I kind of lost track of them after that. And when you said, I want to check out this Pine Grove album coming out this year, I I wasn't even aware they were putting an album out this year. So I was excited to go, oh yeah, Pine Grove, let's uh, let's dive into that one. And it's been a really fun listen. Yeah, I had never heard of the band until I was driving to work one day listening to Sirius XMU. And Evan Stevens-Hall, the lead singer, was on there reviewing this new album and they were playing some clips from it and i thought musically it sounded really cool it was a a, a nice sounding album with a variety of instruments and musical genres and listening to evan dissect the lyrics and talk about some of the meanings behind it made me think that this would be a good album for us to review because it sounded like there was some deep connections to his life and some cool concepts and themes that we would probably generate some good discussion surrounding so that's why i picked it So you actually started listening a little bit with the music in mind, but also hearing him talk about the album. So you were already in sort of that analysis of music stage when you were introduced to Pine Grove. Yeah, definitely. And it was a a live interview. I wish I could have recorded it. I tried to go back and find it, but I don't think they released it to the public afterward. If I would have been thinking on cue, I would have taken out my phone and started recording. I could tell that he's somebody who puts a lot of thought into the lyrics and tries hard to get across the message. And there's a lot of underlying concepts and themes within his songs that are not so apparent, but he did a good job of explaining what the music means to him and what he was trying to get across to the listener. So that's what got me fascinated on top of the fact that the music sounded pretty cool as well. Yeah, I should have thought of they'd be somebody that you would like in that way, and they do fit kind of right in with some of the ones that we've talked about, more lyric-based. And and then the music part, too. I know you're a big grassroots, Americana, bluegrass fan amongst a lot of other genres, and I know they get a lot of comparisons with artists that fall into those categories, but when I was listening to Cardinal, I hadn't really done a lot of research into what their influence is and, and how people describe their sound, and so in doing so with this newer album, Marigold, It was interesting to hear that they make a lot of ties to the emo genre even, and then of course indie rock and that outlaw roots country of course coming through as well. But the the emo part I I can totally see and and hadn't thought of it that way until we started diving into this one. Yeah, they're definitely a diverse band musically. I went back and 
checked out some of their older albums too so i had a general sense of who they are as a band where they've been where they were prior to releasing this new album that we're reviewing i heard lots of cool sounds I think I would have really liked these guys if I stumbled upon them through high school and college. I was thinking the same thing. But like you mentioned, I now like a lot of Americana and folk and storytelling within songs, and you hear a lot of that mixed in with their music as well. Yeah, for sure. I did find something interesting about that emo label. Evan Stevens Hall, the lead singer, said he doesn't really like being labeled as an emo band because, in his opinion, emo points inward and as a band it's their aim to point outwards that's an interesting quote and it's funny because when i listen to his music i do hear a lot of inward pull i don't necessarily think of that as a bad thing he's a little bit younger than me and i remember when that term emo first started coming out some of the early bands with that label they you know they came out of that hardcore scene in the dc area it progressed into emo core but it wasn't a bad word early on, that emo. I remember there was a period of time where I would I was really proud to walk around and say, oh, I listened I listened to emo music. And then somewhere around there it sort of became something that was parody of itself. But man, some of the early what would be considered emo bands, I remember really liking Sunny Day Real Estate being a guy from Seattle and I know they were often called one of the grandfathers of emo music. So I don't think yeah. of it as a bad thing and I, I can see the connection. I listened to a lot of Dashboard Confessional when I was younger and people have labeled them as an emo band as well. Sure, yeah. I don't really think it's a bad thing either to be self-referential or introspective, sharing your thoughts, even if they happen to be negative or sad or somewhat dark, which I guess is what people characterize the term emo with because oftentimes that shows that you're willing to put your emotions out there and possibly people can relate to that themselves and almost feel reassured that they're not alone. I think the negativity comes from people looking at that same expression of the inner feelings as a cry for help or wanting people to feel sorry for them, which I, I don't think is necessarily the case. So it really depends how you look at it. I don't think it's a bad label, but I get what he's saying and wanting to be more outward in their music than inward because they want to connect to people and have it be about something other than themselves. Well, I know you dug a little bit more on the history of this band. I, I was following them, like I said, in 2016, and then I lost touch. I, I, I totally missed their album in between that one and this one. But I know you had a little more time to dig into the history. Maybe you can catch me up since Cardinal. Yeah, so even going back before that, let's start with their youth and formation. The main core members are Evan Stevens Hall, the lead singer, guitarist, and the guy who does most of the songwriting. The other core member is Zach Levine, who is the drummer. Evan and Zach met in childhood and played in various bands together before founding Pine Grove. They actually began when they were seven years old, which is pretty impressive. They've stuck it out for this long. I read that too, man. That's rare to have. A, you, you talk about artists that meet early on. I mean, even when you think of Paul McCartney and John Lennon, they met pretty young. But man, seven, yeah. seven years old to start making music together. That's, that's something. Right. I believe you had told me that Evan just turned 30. So that means they've been playing together for 23 years plus and obviously have a good connection because of that. And you can hear it in a lot of their music. Also to have that childhood connection, the friendship, to know each other probably makes it easier to relate to that person and what they're talking about and play musically in accordance with that. Right. I think just like any relationship, the amazing part of it is that 
as time changes, you change too, and to have them both be just as committed to it and in the same frame of mind to continue writing music, I think that's a rarity for sure. Yeah, definitely. You hear a lot of friends forming bands when they're younger, but then if they become popular, they may end up going their separate ways. Maybe there's some riff with the whole fame and process of making music and making money and everything that goes along with that. So for them to stick it out through all that and still be together and still be writing music and touring and having fun together is really impressive. Yeah, for sure. Another interesting fact, Evan and Zach had fathers who played together in a cover band when they were growing up. So they got to watch them as they were beginning their musical journey as well. Oh, their fathers played together too. That's cool. They already have two generations of people writing writing music together that way. Yeah, definitely. I read too that Evan Stevens Hall's dad wrote commercial jingles. Oh, really? Yeah. I knew when they immediately, when I read this, I, I recognized this commercial jingle. You know that ad for the J.G. Wentworth? Vaguely, yeah. If you get long-term payments, but you need cash now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, Evan Stevens Hall's dad wrote that commercial jingle. Pretty famous. That's pretty cool. So back to Pine Grove, the band formed in Montclair, New Jersey, but they didn't get the name Pine Grove until they were in college. The band comes from a prominent pine tree row on a nature reserve where Evan Hall attended college. He states that he often frequented this land for introspection, and there was one section referred to as the Pine Grove by the students where the grid was visually geometrical, a concept often explored by Hall and his music, as well as repetitious, which he relates back to his music as well. Oh yeah, those geometric shapes come up on the album art, I noticed. Yeah, he talks a lot about geometric shapes, especially squares, in the sense that they're an outline or a border but that they have an infinite amount of stuff that can be put inside of them, as if the space has not been filled yet, but you at least know there's a border. Yeah, I think Cardinal is like two squares that kind of interlock, Mm -hmm. and then their album after that, Skylight, is I think a single square. And I also read that the actress Kristen Stewart has a tattoo of one of those geometric shapes on her, so apparently she's a fan. And he's also very fascinated by colors. We'll get into that when we talk about the discography here in a minute. Hmm. So other than Zach and Evan, the other well-known member of the band is Nandi Rose Plunkett, who sings backup vocals, plays the synth and the keyboard. She used to tour with the band, but now she only contributes to studio albums. Some of their musical influences include My Morning Jacket, Bon Iver, and Death Cab for Cutie. I definitely hear Death Cab. Yeah, you can hear them in some of their songs for sure. Evan has also noted that he's inspired by many writers, including William Faulkner, Virginia Woolf, and George Saunders, who has also been listed as an inspiration to another artist that we recently reviewed, Jason Isbell. Oh, no way. Interesting. So apparently we need to check out some George Saunders literature because it's inspiring and influencing some of this great music that we've been covering here. Yeah, a little common thread between some albums we are picking. That's interesting. And getting back to our talk about the genres that we see in Pine Grove's music, Paul has stated that he doesn't really like being labeled as a specific genre, that when they write a song, they don't say, we're writing an indie song or a punk song or a country song or Americana or emo or whatever. 
but that they're trying to write music that they would like to listen to themselves and that maybe sometimes there's a, a theme or an underlying tone of a, a certain genre in terms of the chord progressions or the sounds but that they're really not trying to go for a, a specific genre although he did one time refer to pine grove as a language arts rock band which i thought maybe connected to his being influenced by writers and musicians alike I think regardless of whatever genre you're trying to attach them, I think one of the things that supersedes all of that is their lyrics are more conversational. It's a little bit less, you know, there's some metaphor in there, but I I read that he doesn't like lyrics to be too complicated or without too much specificity because he feels like sometimes that can be a little bit of a defense mechanism where you're separating yourself from what you're trying to say and you give yourself a back door to say, oh no, that not what I meant. And so I think part of what he wants to do is at least put lyrics out there that do mean something. And that conversational method that he does, I think is an interesting way of doing it. Yeah, that's true. And I get the sense that a lot of the lyrics might have been written before the song, before the music to accompany it. I'm not totally sure what gives me that sense. And I don't know if that's common for artists to come up with a lick first and then put words to it, or if they're reflecting on their thoughts, putting words down on paper, coming up with a poem and then trying to fit some music to it to turn it into a song. But I really feel like Evan probably sits around. In fact, I did hear it in an interview that he doesn't like to take notes on his phone or on the computer where there's other distractions that he really likes to sit down with pen and paper and write where he can be totally consumed by it. I get the sense that a poem or a short story is written first and then when he puts music to it, he's not super caught up in making it sound really neat and clean. He has the ability to flex words a little bit or add an extra syllable to make it mesh with the music, even though it's not totally correct. It has kind of a cool sound that I don't, I don't know if I've picked up in a lot of other people. I'd agree with that. When we get into the track by track, there's a couple lines specifically that stand out that way to me where he just sort of tacks on an extra couple syllables that make it a little bit interesting and go outside of the boundaries of the rhyme specifically that I think makes it sound more conversational. Yeah, and I feel like it gives him a lot of flexibility in working the words that he's putting down on paper with the music that he creates to accompany that, where it doesn't have to totally feel like a song that meshes well or rhymes together, but that if he has the story that he wants to tell on one hand and the music that conveys that message, whether that be upbeat or slowed down tempo, whether it's a little dark or happy, and when he pieces that together, since he has the ability to manipulate those words he can have the words and the sound be the centerpiece and then the song kind of evolves from that instead of worrying so much about the song sounding a certain way and then having to compromise those other two elements to make it work yeah i'd agree so you mentioned cardinal their most popular album that was released in 2016 a little earlier they did have quite a few before that that were released a lot of them under a different band name before pine grove evolved But once they were Pine Grove, the first album that came out was in 2012. That was titled Meridian. They released another one in 2014 titled Everything So Far, which was a collaboration of a lot of their best songs that they had put out up to that point. And then in 2016, Cardinal. Mm -hmm. That was the album that got them popular, that really allowed them to become more well-known in the media. After Cardinal was released in early 2016, Pine Grove began to gain momentum and popularity in the indie rock music scene. They had a successful tour in the summer of 2016, followed by another tour in the fall of 2017. After that tour ended, 
The band took an unexpected hiatus for nearly one year following a personal issue the lead singer Evan was going through at the time. On November 21st, 2017, he posted a very long message on the Pine Grove Facebook page, which stated, I'm about to talk about something serious, and I want to begin by saying that my actions have caused someone I care about deep emotional pain, and I am so sorry. I've been accused of sexual coercion. The accusation comes from someone I was involved with for a short but intense period of time. I won't say more about this person because I want to respect her privacy, and I ask anyone reading this to do the same. Next, he stated that the time they spent together was complicated, convoluted, heavy, and emotional, but he believed they were mutually in love with each other. He then said that he is coming to terms with the fact that he monumentally misread the situation, and he is deeply reflecting on all the things he could have done better. He further explained that he should have more actively acknowledged his position of power as a public figure. He now sees more clearly that his accumulated privilege as a recognized performer most certainly impacted the interaction. He ended the message by saying the following, I recognize that this is the beginning of a long process of reflection in an effort to take time to make positive changes in my life and out of respect for what she is going through, we are canceling our upcoming US tour. We'll be taking some time off in general. I started therapy on Wednesday, November 15th and I plan to continue indefinitely. I'm sincerely committed to improving my mental health and the way I treat everyone I interact with. I'm being held to account by the people close to me but the point of this post is not about me. It is an apology to the person I hurt and to the people I disappointed. My bandmates, my friends, my family, our fans. I'm so sorry. I have never felt remorse like this before. I will think about how I could have been better in this situation for as long as I live. Pinegrove went on to release their fourth studio album, Skylight, in September of 2018, nearly 10 months after Evan's Facebook post. After doing some reading, it seems as though the album was completed in 2017, but the release date was held until the following year as a result of this incident. Yeah, this story was news to me after you chose this album. I think I mentioned before, I knew Cardinal pretty well after its release date in 2016. And then Pinegrove kind of fell off my radar until you suggested doing this one. I read that in an article that that was part of, was surrounding this album release. And you and I had some great conversations around this topic. And for anyone listening to this podcast, we definitely encourage you to read more about it and have those conversations as well. When it came down to it, though, we were trying to decide what to mention within this podcast. And we were reminded that we started this because we want to discuss music. Nonetheless, because this was such a significant event surrounding the release of this album, we both felt it was necessary that we mention it before we dive deeply into its content. Evan Stevens Hall and the woman involved reached an agreement on how they wanted to proceed. After Evan and the band fulfilled that agreement, all parties involved are attempting to move forward, and we're going to move forward as well from any specific details of this incident now as we transition into discussing the album itself. So as I mentioned earlier, this incident happened around the end of 2017, which was the time that the album Skylight was fairly close to completion, but as we mentioned, it was delayed a year and released in 2018. But those tracks were already written for the most part before this incident occurred. So many people have dubbed this new 2020 album Marigold as the first studio album released by Pine Grove since the incident. So as we mentioned, there potentially are themes, emotions, or feelings surrounding that event that 
show up on this album that we may get into during the track by track. Yeah, I think it's impossible to ignore the connections that may have led to some of those themes. And it's also one of those things where you find yourself trying not to apply that to every lyric and theme of this album. So I think there's a lot of content that could be taken in multiple ways. Yes, I would agree. One interesting note to make about the album discography is that Evan has a fascination with colors, as we mentioned earlier. Cardinal is the red album, Skylight Blue, and the latest album, Marigold, of course, Yellow, which makes up the three primary colors. Oh, interesting. I never thought of the three of them together like that. Yeah, I heard in an interview that he had done a red album and a blue album, so he figured he might as well find a way to center an album around the color yellow and chose the flower marigold as the title, which has a a lot of meanings behind it that you and I have both uncovered and discussed in preparation for this album. I don't know how much thought he puts into the choice of the color and how it relates to the songs in terms of what the color means, but it is fascinating to see these chosen the primary colors for the first three or the last three albums, the three that are more mainstream. It'll be interesting to see what he chooses for the next one. Yeah, or if after having the three primary colors, which of course can be put together to make everything else if he'll feel like he's done with that part I'll, I'll be interested to see that too he might have to go with the three secondary colors i don't even know the secondary colors what, what is that oh you don't let me enlighten you the secondary colors are green purple and orange okay i hope i got that right my artistic father will be disappointed if i got those wrong <laughs> i'll be very disappointed in pine grove if the next album isn't one of those colors yeah. Thinking back to my art years, I believe they're the secondary colors because they can be formed from two of the primary colors. Okay. Red and blue make purple, red and yellow make orange, and blue and yellow make green. Nicely done. I didn't know I was going to learn this in <laughs> dissecting an emo indie band. Yeah. So over the next five, ten years, Pine Grove, we're expecting a green, purple, and orange themed album to be released. I'm sure they're listening and, and they will change their plans if they weren't already going to do so. Yeah. Maybe they could call the next one Pine Grove and that'd be their green album. I like that idea. <laughs> anyway, getting back to <laughs> Marigold, the album that we're discussing today, it is their fifth studio album under the band name Pine Grove. It was released through Rough Trade Records, produced by lead singer Evan Stevens-Hall, and mixed and recorded in what they call Amperland, which is a rural farmhouse in upstate New York, and it serves as their music studio and also a home for the band when they're not on the road. I don't know if you happened to see that, but I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I did see that. I think when I was reading that too, they were talking about the house that they call Big Pink that the band recorded their first album in is also in upstate New York somewhere. Oh, that's cool. Before we get into the track by track analysis, I wanted to read a statement from the Pine Grove newsletter about this album because I think it really sets the stage for the music that we're about to discuss. They state, we are so thrilled to share with you our new album. It's dedicated to anyone who has known happiness, to anyone who has lost it and got it back. For anyone who has watched a V of birds fly overhead and kept watching until they were gone, it's for anyone who has had to put their head down and do the work, who thought their pain might never end and felt impatient, 
And for anyone who has felt suddenly surprised at how lovely the world can be, a beautiful sentence, an elegant flower. This album is for anyone who is chronically dehydrated, for anyone with a slouching problem, for anybody who has the honor of being in love right now. It is dedicated to anyone who is striving to live a more intentional life and to anyone whose favorite primary color, against all odds, is yellow. This album is for you. Thank you for your patience and trust and love. We appreciate you so much. It's an honor to be on this journey together. All right. So are we ready to get into the track-by-track analysis? Yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. Track one is titled Dotted Line. first thing that stood out to me on that track was, um, did you hear that too at the beginning where before the music even starts, you hear him clear his throat in the background? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. They decided to keep that in there. I had my headphones on. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have heard it, but it was almost like right before you step up to a podium and you're going to say a speech or it sounded like a nervous thing. And I wondered if that was intentional. Yeah, now that I think about it, maybe it was intentional to put that there, or that was actually a genuine sense of, here we go, nervousness, and they decided to keep it in there, because it really does set the stage for this album, because a lot of the songs do have some pretty deep, dark, emotional lyrics that really depict somebody going through a a difficult time that's maybe not that easy to express and share with other people, so it is fitting to start the album that way. Yeah, and then right after that, you hear those muted guitars come in, and the impression I got from those, it felt sort of like this pent-up energy. So you could tell they were very distorted, but fingers were pretty yeah. muted on them so that it was some energy being held back at the beginning. Ignore the wreckage on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, like, like somebody has been sitting around brainstorming, thinking about these issues, stewing over it for months on end and and finally they decide they're going to let it out and share it with somebody maybe the music was supposed to give the listener that sense as well as we get started here yeah and i you know i'm doing the best i can in listening to these lyrics to think of them as their own thing and i know that the incident that happened prior to this album is floating over it but i told myself all right i'm going to listen to this without that in mind and then of course the first words are ignore the wreckage on the shoulder yeah <laughs> and i almost like smiled to myself just thinking like right it can be hard not to think about yeah, it yeah exactly i didn't know about that incident when i listened to this album for the first time because as i mentioned earlier it popped up on sirius xmu as i was on my way to work and i thought it sounded pretty cool and since we were looking for 2020 albums to review on this podcast we didn't really have too many to choose from so i thought oh that one sounds pretty cool let me go check it out and i just played it while i was working out one night and listened to it before doing any research or discovering that there was this incident that happened prior to the release of the album and that maybe at least to some degree The songs and lyrics are a reflection of that year that the band was on hiatus, probably constructing this album. And then there was a couple metaphors that made their appearance throughout this song. Obviously, the first one being the title, Dotted Line, that he mentions Mm -hmm. that phrase twice. First one is that dotted line from the antenna. What'd you make of that? Let me me hear your take on it first, because mine is 
probably a little more complex because I made some obscure connections and uh, took it to a more esoteric level in, in some way. So I'm curious what you had to think about it. You, you want to hear my superficial thoughts before you <laughs> layer in your deep thoughts? Is that well, what you're trying to say? No, I'm not saying that <laughs> my thoughts are deeper than yours, but I, I did kind of go off on a uh, wild tangent or, or out on a limb before I distract you from your thoughts and make make you think that I'm crazy for the connections I made, let me hear your your rational take on dotted line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, and actually mine is uh mine is not that deep, so you're you're not far off. But I was just thinking of it as that dotted line from the antenna. I imagine him in the driver's seat, looking out the window and seeing mm-hmm. that antenna maybe line up with those yellow dotted lines that would be passing on the freeway. Oh, okay, yeah. I read in an interview somewhere that he writes his best words and lyrics when he's doing some mechanical task at the same time as he's thinking about writing. So he, oh, yeah. he gave an example of like going for a walk or, or doing the dishes or something like that instead of just sitting down to write. So... I had read that and then I'm listening to the song and I was thinking maybe that was his muse for writing as he's mm-hmm. looking out the windshield and seeing this yeah. dotted line from the antenna. Yeah. Uh, so okay. that's what I was thinking about. You know, I think I mentioned this when we were talking about the history of the band, but I, I heard that too, that he often has these amazing lyrics or song ideas come to his head when he's out for a stroll or, or doing something nonchalant, not trying to create music, but living life when these ideas pop into his head and then he goes back and puts them down on paper. But when it actually comes to recording those thoughts, I read that he's tried to do it on notes on his cell phone. And at times he's had to do it if he's not in a place where he can physically sit down and write. He's tried to type on his computer, but he finds that he gets distracted by social media and the internet and other endeavors that could take away from that. So he's decided that the best way for him to put that song on paper is to sit down with a pencil and notebook paper, which yeah. would have dotted lines across it as well. So potentially oh, true. there's this string of dotted lines on his antenna, meaning there's these thoughts or potential song lyrics going through his head and he wants to get to a place back home in New Jersey where he can sit down, clear his head and create music again. Then he mentions the dotted line again later when he says, in the night when I feel your absence, like a dotted line across my shoulder. And that one I just took to mean, you know, a dotted line being a vacancy that used to be or needed to be filled. And so you have the absence of a person and, and feeling it on you in that circumstance. Yeah, I saw that too. I almost envisioned a crime scene where they've drawn dotted lines around where this body used to be. And this is superimposed on somebody laying in their bed thinking about the time that the girlfriend might have been there with their head on their shoulder and now it's a dotted line because it's not really there anymore but there's this reflection or something that used to be or maybe a longing for something that this person this character wishes was there that isn't there currently the other thing that continues to come up over and over again in this song and i think in some later songs too is he he talks about holding his head up Mm -hmm. and every time that comes up it seems to imply that it's like a distraction may no fantasy hold my head up like don't let something that isn't going to happen distract me. May no memory fold my head in. Mm-hmm. You know, saying don't don't let things of the past draw me into myself and distract me from going forward. As the chorus says, "I'm things are going to work out if I keep moving forward." Is kind of the way the chorus implies to me. Yeah, yeah. Are you ready to hear my interpretation of dotted line and 
how I read into that set of lyrics. I don't know. You've built it up, so <laughs> I'm, I know. I, I I think I'm ready. Let's let's hear I it. I hope I don't let you down. All right. So I connected more with the lyric that talked about the dotted line upon his shoulder that we just discussed, potentially being a metaphor for somebody who used to be there or or somebody that he wishes was there, but essentially this idea that there's something that was or could be, but is not currently there. And when you think about what a dotted line or dashed line means in other situations in life, oftentimes it represents something that is in a temporary or transitional state. In that context, it can be used as a placeholder, Mm. indicating that there's more to come. So either it's a placeholder for something that was there or a hope that something will be there in the future. And throughout this entire album, you can see that this character that a lot of the songs are about is definitely in the middle of some difficult time where there's turmoil and uncertainty. And this basically sets the stage for the whole album. So to take it another step further, this is where I went a little bit out on a limb in making a a deeper connection. The lyrics read, a dotted line from my antenna says may no fantasy hold my head up so clearly he's driving he's crossing the border into new jersey so the obvious answer would be to say that that antenna is the one that's sticking up from his car however you could simply look at that definition of antenna being a rod wire or other device used to transmit or receive some type of a signal And if that signal is reflecting a dotted line that is giving him these messages, may no fantasy hold my head up, nor may no memory fold my head in, and then those lines get flipped later on, basically he's in this state of confusion where he's basically saying, don't let fantasy, whether good or bad, or memory, good or bad, hold your head up, meaning to be the thing that keeps you afloat, or be what folds you in and makes you crumble. So in other words... Don't dwell on the past. Don't think about the future. Live in the moment. Be present. Don't let all those thoughts conflict you. So this is the part that I I think is a bit of a stretch, but I think it's a fun way to look at it. An antenna is also the word that we use for the pointy things sticking off of an insect off of their head. That's their antenna. Mm -hmm. So a dotted line, a placeholder from my antenna, if we think of it as his antenna, something sticking up from his head, not necessarily his car, but he's driving back home and the dotted line from his antenna, which is basically transmitting signals from his brain, is saying, may no fantasy hold my head up or let my head fold in or memories do either of the same. So potentially that dotted line is a representation of the thoughts that are being transmitted from this antenna from his head telling him to do all those things that I just mentioned. Yeah, okay. You follow? <laughs> I, no, I like that. I, I, I followed all, I followed all that. <laughs> all right. Clearly, there's a, a literal translation to those lyrics, but looking at it deeper, if there's this character who's all up in his head and he has all these thoughts going on, maybe he has is having some bizarre connections and thinking outside the box with these words. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an awesome interpretation. I think that's really cool. I was just thinking simply too that I wonder if that whole metaphor and thought process about that came from the idea of him putting his head down. He's trying to get through this difficult scenario that he's in and so he the common phrase that people say is just put your head down and keep moving. And so he might have thought, all right, well, what's the opposite of that? If I know I want to keep my head down, what would lift my head up and distract me? 
Yeah, it's it's re- really interesting how he flipped those lyrics. I wouldn't have caught that listening to the song, but when you go through and read them and try to interpret the meaning, it makes you wonder why he did that, because obviously it was intentional. I think it makes more sense to think about the first time that it comes out by saying, may no fantasy hold my head up, because that's a common reference that people will talk about in not fantasizing too much, because you might get your hopes up. And then to say, may no memory fold my head in, oftentimes people dwell on the past and reflect on bad memories in their life that may make them fold, crumble, let their head drop. But then to flip it and also say, may no fantasy fold my head in, nor memory hold my head up. To me, that doesn't really make sense because normally you would want to reflect on good memories to keep your head up and not let some fantasy that's negative fold your head in. But to flip that around and talk about the contrary, it almost makes me think that's a really creative, complicated way of saying, keep a level head, stay in the moment, don't dwell too much on the past or think about your memories or get too far ahead of yourself into the future and fantasize, but to simply take it a day at a time. Yeah. And the chorus is real simple, right? It, there's there's a lot of things to try to pick out of the verses, but mm-hmm. the chorus is just saying, I don't know how, but I think it's all going to be all right. I think it's all going to work out. So that at least helps you put you in a frame of mind for, okay, I know that's the main thing he's trying to communicate with the song. How might these verses relate mm-hmm. to it? And that, that helped me. Yeah. Certainly, I feel like I get the gist of the song, even if there's a couple lines I don't have understood completely. Yeah, the chorus is pretty straightforward, but the way he sings it, I I don't really believe him. I don't know if he's confident that it'll all work out. I think it's almost like he's telling himself that, you know, I I have no idea how this is going to turn out, but yeah, I think it's all going to work out. Almost like somebody said, hey, it'll be fine. It'll, It'll pass over, whatever it is, you know, you'll deal with it and everything's going to work out in the end. People throw out that cliche line all the time. And in his voice, you can almost hear like he's forced to say this, but there's some reservations. That's funny. For me on this one, I felt like he did. Hmm. I think there's certain other songs in this album where he's feeling a little bit more hopeless. Mm -hmm. And even songs where part of it he feels hopeless and then other parts he doesn't. But it felt like to me that he was feeling like it would work out. But That's the the power of music and and lyrics and, and how the the listener will probably extract that and to some degree use their own understanding of of life and experience and everything they're going through to to uh, make sense out of it so potentially that that's a reflection of some subconscious reflection of maybe our our own thoughts or you know the state we were in when we were listening to the album potentially or the or the context that we had prior to hearing the song yeah maybe so but there's a the part we skipped over that I wanted to talk about in that song too that relates to the the confliction between holding his head up and not letting it fold in and fantasizing and thinking about memories he says just another day in the polar vortex do i do my thing and just keep my head down oh that's the part you were referring to before i think i exactly yep i assumed uh, you were still talking about the the line where he said fold my head in yeah that 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 part i i i, I totally agree um basically he's in this day-to-day routine of swirling thoughts, a polar vortex, swirling winds. He's conflicted in how he's supposed to proceed, what to do about the situation. There's definitely this this whirlwind. You hear that term thrown around a lot when people are confused. And one thing you could do is just lower your head and push through the day and go through the motion. So he's asking himself that, or do I eclipse back to Atlanta 
And then he answered that question in the song. He says, no, may no fantasy hold my head up. So there, there's something about Atlanta that he's fantasizing about. I looked up and saw that that was a tour date site of Pine Grove and the, the tour that they canceled. So potentially there's some connection there if we think this is about the lead singer and, and the issues that they went through and having to or choosing to cancel their tour, potentially fantasizing on getting back on the road, going down to Atlanta to the city and mm, yeah. doing this big show again. But he says, no, no, may no fantasy hold my head up nor may no memory fold my head in. So I'm not going to reflect on that. I'm not going to look ahead to the future. I'm going to live in the moment. But that polar vortex concept is interesting to me because that typically means there's swirling winds and storm on the horizon or potentially some really bad weather, some cold weather. So again, that is in a way setting the stage for the album or at least providing some context to where this person or character is at. Did you think that the silver vision across the desert was like a mirage that you might be lifting your head up and seeing something that isn't actually there? Yeah, I thought about that line quite a bit too. I thought maybe it could be that or or possibly we've all heard the expression a, a silver lining on the horizon, basically a, a sign of figuring something out or, or seeing a, a resolution or, or end in sight. Yeah, the so positivity or something. This huge yeah. desert. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he sees this wide open space, the desert in front of him, but in the far distance, there's there's a a silver lining on the horizon. Uh yeah, as more of a positive thing. I was thinking of it as a distraction. Yeah, that no, that makes sense too. Well, you want to move on to track two? Yeah, yeah. Th- th- this song really piggybacks off of the the first one. So let's. Play a little clip, track two on the album, Spiral. Drink water, good posture, good lighting, good evening, good morning, the loss of a feeling, a part of a process of living, a vision, do what you're to, Man, when I, when I first heard this song, I was, I was really drawn into it almost kind of mesmerized by the the simplicity but repetition and and how quickly it became something stuck in my head that I was I was repeating almost like a mantra to myself and I, and I feel like maybe that's what this character this person that we're introduced to in the first song is really doing to themselves in this song I could almost see these lyrics posted on a wall hanging or on their door so that every time they leave their room wake up in the morning they see this sign that says drink water good posture good lighting good evening basically simplifying things saying focus on the basics do what you know will help you get through the day maybe foster some happiness or an ability to to think about what you're going through then he says your morning the loss of a feeling a part of a process of living a vision to do what you're here to you're crying not sleeping i love you good morning i love you you're singing i see you you're smiling and lying your hair in a spiral Drink water, good posture, good lighting. Good evening, good morning, good morning, good morning, I see you. That's the entire song. It's just repetitious, saying the same mantra basically over and over and over. But there's this this sense of hope while also dealing with hurt and loss and uh, trying to remind yourself of the things that you need to do that you got to focus on to get through the day and, and uh, move forward. 
That's cool that you liked this one right away. This was a grower for me. I, I wasn't really sure what to think of it being such a short song mm-hmm. right away that doesn't have different parts. And I think as we were getting closer to actually recording this yesterday, the day before, we were talking about our favorite songs. And I thought about it for a while and I decided this was one of my favorites after yeah. all this time listening. And it didn't start that way for me. So I think that's cool that you read it. It spoke to you right away. But yeah, I took the same thing from it. It felt like a mantra that you say to yourself when you're just trying to get through the day. I was struck by the fact that the beginning and the end of it are all those simple things mm-hmm. in life. Like like you said, you know, have good posture, drink water, do all these things. And then, of course, the end of it as well goes back to that, you know, the good posture, drink water. But the middle part, after all of these mundane little idioms to like, whoa, he's talking about you're mourning the loss of a process you're crying, not sleeping, it, it gets it gets pretty real pretty quick, and then it comes back to the more mundane things. And mm-hmm. it did feel kind of like a day in your life, right? You, you yeah. wake up with all this intention of, all right, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and then all of this shit happens in your day, basically. Mm-hmm. And that throws your plans for a loop, and then by the end, you're just trying to ground yourself back to where you started. And I thought it was a, really a genius song after having listened to it. It was definitely a grower for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, t- I totally saw that contrast as well. It, it's almost like it starts with the mantra, what he wants to be living by, but then his mind wanders back to the negativity, the hard times that he's going through. But then he basically reminds himself, no, 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 don't let these negative thoughts rule you because we've all been there at times where we're fixated on an idea and we might be repeating those thoughts over and over and over, stewing on how to figure it out, how it happened in the first place, how am I going to move on from this? But then you have to be positive and encourage yourself, have self-talk and get yourself through it. So th- this song, I think, is a very real depiction of the toss and turn between negative thoughts that want to dominate your mind at times and your active process of squashing them with positivity. And if we go back to the first song and talking about the whirlwind of the polar vortex having this dotted line, a placeholder of not wanting to get too fixated on fantasy or dwelling too much on memory in the past. Those are real complicated things to try to sort through. Whereas in number two, it's very simple, stripped down, drink water, good posture, good lighting, good evening, good morning, etc. I love you. All these things that he wants to remind himself of so he can keep his head level and, and try to work through this problem. I like how the music seems to go with what he's saying in this song as well. It starts off with just the the vocals and guitar when things are more simple. And then when it gets a little more complicated, that's when the the drums and the other voice comes in as well. And then it goes back to that more simple part as that stuff fades out. I thought that was really cool. And then that accent on the second syllable each time, it's the same thing that you would do if you were saying like, blah, 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 blah to somebody right, where right. if you're trying to talk about something boring, you know, on the one hand, you could think of it as the, this is, these are boring things, drink water, have good posture, but they're also grounding things too. And so part of it is a positive version of that, of him wanting that to be, to feel kind of easy and mundane. Yeah. I, read another review on this album and somebody mentioned how this song spiral is written in six eight measure where 
the accent is placed on that middle syllable. So it's mm-hmm. drink water, good posture, good lighting, good evening. Right. You know, that, that does kind of make it sound more like a, a mantra, like somebody is just forced to say something over and over and over to the point where, you know, it almost becomes subconscious in the back of your head. Musically, that that same idea is accomplished. I think we talked about this in the intro that a lot of Evan's songs could stand alone as poems. And it's almost as if he, he puts that message, those thoughts on paper in, in lyrics first in a poem and then creates music that gives across that same message that the words are supposed to present. And then as a third step, he figures out how he's going to sing the words and piece it together with the music. And I think that's why oftentimes the songs sound really unique in the way the words mesh with the music. Yeah, it's like he has to bend the music around the words instead of the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Or, or that he, he's yeah. not so concerned about whether or not the song comes off super clean and pretty, but that you as the listener feel the music and hear the words and that each of them individually would give you the same response. I read in some interview that that part where he repeats good morning three times, Mm -hmm. he imagined one of those really cheap little far side calendars you have, you know, where you peel off a day and there's like a new far side comic and it's a, it's a new day. It's like a whole 365 and just how fast those go. Like if you have one of those in an office and, and you just are pulling those off. So that good morning, he just, he just imagines like, good morning, good morning, good morning, just tearing these off and throwing them and just having like days pass by so quickly in the midst of all this stuff that's going on. That's, that's a, was a cool visual. Yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't have made that connection, but that, that is pretty cool how the days can drag on and on and all feel the same, especially if you're caught up in, in trying to overcome something that's it's really controlling your, your everyday thoughts. I, I yeah. thought too, or a question for a while, whether or not when he's speaking in the first person saying, I love you, you're singing, I see you, you're smiling, your hair in a spiral. If, if he's talking to somebody else, looking at somebody else, thinking about them in true first person written speech, or if potentially... He's jumping out of his body for a second, going to a higher level, to an omniscient viewpoint, and he's talking back to himself, saying, I love you, you're singing. He's a singer, obviously, that's what he does, that's what makes him happy. You're smiling, he's usually a happy guy, but he's not in this particular event. And basically trying to say, I love you, as a clever way of saying, love yourself, think about the times that you're singing, that you're smiling, that you have these good things going for you. I like that visual. I heard myself repeating a lot of the lyrics, especially the first few lines, because they were definitely easy to get stuck in your head. I think I think the one line that I threw in there that as I look at the lyrics now was totally wrong, but I could have sworn he said good coffee in there somewhere. And maybe that's just because I love <laughs> coffee, but... As, I, as I've been singing this in my head, I've been singing, drink water, good posture, good coffee, good lighting, because I'm always <laughs> drinking coffee during the day, and I had this song stuck in my head, so I guess I just made up the words like when we were kids and tried to sing along to the radio and had no idea what they were actually saying. <laughs> That's funny, because I could have swore he said good enchilada <laughs> at one point. I just really love Mexican food. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I could I could see that we could do a we could do a a remix. Let's let's make a remix for yeah. our next podcast of this song. Yeah, and then uh, we could start it with drink tequila instead of water. 
good. I'll, I'll have a tequila enchilada with my enchilada. No question about it. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I could, I could totally take this theme, steal this from these guys and come up with my own mantra to put on a poster on the wall to wake up in the morning and see and remind yourself of the simple things in life that you can't lose sight of, especially when you're going through some challenging times in your life. And it feels like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders and, and so much uh, to accomplish. It is good to step back every now and then and, and remember there are a lot of things to be thankful for and things that are going to help you get through whatever life throws at you. Yeah, very well said. All right. Well, are we on to track three? Yeah, let's do it. Track three is called The Alarmist. listen to this whole album i think that is my favorite song there was just something about it the outro is probably really what did it for me i don't know i just really liked this one yeah it was a good song it wasn't my favorite but it, it was definitely a track that stood out on the album musically i i, I really liked it I, I thought the lyrics fit in with tracks one and two in in setting the stage for for somebody who's going through a difficult time in their life. They're all centered around fear, anxiety, some sense of confusion or, or being lost and, and troubled and not knowing how to cope with whatever is going on. But musically, this was a, a very pleasant song. I really liked that stripped down acoustic guitar in the beginning. It was really, really chill. I really liked that too. And I think the thing that I liked the most about it was just how it contrasted the end. This is probably the most dynamic song because you listen to the beginning and you think, okay, this one's kind of a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. And by the time you got to the end and that outro really surprised me. that's why this ended up being my favorite is I just didn't I didn't see those two things connecting in this song from the get-go yeah musically I, I also was really drawn in by those symbols in the background they were really subtle but it was almost like they were pushing the pace of the song a little bit midway through the song it seemed like maybe it was a little bit too slow and, and, the, and the symbols keep it going so that it doesn't get too mellow Mm, I'm gonna have to go back and listen for that. It's funny, I listen to this so many times. There's certain things you connect with and yeah. and uh, you remember, and then there's other things where I'm like, oh man, I don't even know if I know what he's talking about. So I'm gonna have to go back and check that out. Right. Yeah, for some reason, I just caught on to that high pitch uh, sound in the back. I know that you had mentioned that you felt like this song ties in with the other two, and I was, I'm really excited to hear you describe exactly what you're talking about there, but I do see that part of that whisper to yourself and spinning it around kind of like a mantra like the spiral song that be good to me him whispering that to himself like an echo reminded me a little bit of that first looking at the definition of the word alarmist it's a noun 
someone who is considered to be exaggerating a danger and so causing needless worry or panic. And I think we really got a sense of that in the music, especially in track one, dotted line, that there was some some confusion and potentially an over-exaggeration of fear surrounding the issue. And then in two, even though there's a, a sense of hope with repeating this mantra to himself, there's also that dark middle section that explicitly says that that you're you're mourning a loss of a feeling and going through a difficult time. And now in The Alarmist, maybe he's starting to realize that he's potentially over-exaggerating because there's that line that says, because for as far as I see, it's terrible territory and there's no one to reassure me. Definitely a lot of fear in that. I know in, in the first song, you heard some hope in the lyrics, but I, I almost feel like that was superficial. And here we're, we're really seeing the true feelings that this person is, is a little hopeless, but potentially this could be a turning point where they've hit their breaking point and realized that they, they need to come up with a plan and, and uh, start working through some of these issues. Yeah, this one definitely felt more hopeless than the first one to me, but I can see mm-hmm. how you were feeling that maybe that was thinly veiled in grouping these three songs together. Yeah, and I mean, even how the the song starts out in verse two, it says marigold in the garden. You know, that that's, that's something that is generally looked at as pleasant, but potentially there's this flower out there. We don't know if it's necessarily bloomed yet, but but at least it's a, it's a process of growing and, and, and patience and, and eventually it's going to be a pretty thing. So he's looking out, maybe he sees a marigold, maybe he sees a field where they're about to bloom and he envisions something great, but then he follows that up with, my heart is out in the garbage. But then he says, I am being an alarmist. And then that line that I read before, because for as far as I see, it's terrible territory and there's no one to reassure me. You know, he admits that he's being an alarmist. He's exaggerating a danger, causing needless worry and panic. And he's talking about how his heart is out in the garbage. Obviously, he's exaggerating a little bit. But uh, maybe the reference to the, the, the title of the album, Marigold, in the garden, I think possibly is a, is a small sign of hope that he sees something positive and even in, in the, the face of all of this negativity that he's dealing with in his head, at least he can still recognize that there's something pretty out in the garden and, and maybe that gives him a small sense of hope. That's interesting. So if I'm hearing you right, it's almost like you, you see it as sort of a mirror image to the first one where it sounded positive, but you're reading in between the lines some negativity. And in this one, it sounds negative, but you're seeing that marigold give a little glimmer of hope is that kind of a fair assessment potentially yeah yeah i think so and that could just be me reflecting on these first few tracks and and reading into them after seeing how the middle few tracks and then the last few are, are grouped together in a sense i almost feel like by the end of this album we get a full story of what it's like for somebody to go through a set of 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 challenges and obstacles in their life where at first it's extremely overwhelming then throughout the middle of the album, we see a bit of an action plan where, where they're starting to say, okay, I got to put my foot down. I got to do something about this. And then toward the end, I don't want to give too much away, but we, we get a, a little sense of, of resolution that potentially this person has overcome these issues. They've grown, they're, they're moving on. And, and obviously we'll get into that as we get into the next tracks. But that's probably why I lumped these three together. And maybe I'm seeing them that way because it, it makes sense in my head for the story that I, that I see in the album. I can see where you're going with all that. I think that's really neat. At first, I thought that that line, my heart is in the garbage, was just going to totally ruin this song for me. Yeah. I think we were joking early on about <laughs> how 
I had this period of my life where I wa- walked around saying I love emo music before it became mm-hmm. a parody of itself. Once it did become a parody of itself, that's the type of thing that I was rolling my eyes at of bands with these lyrics like that, my heart's out in the garbage. And so when I first listened to the song, we're three songs in, I didn't really have a grasp on his writing style. And I was like, oh man, they talk about a an emo influence on this band and now I'm hearing it, Am I, is this going to be too thick? Yeah. But that's kind of the only time that a line like that stands out to me. And I gave him the benefit of the doubt, him being self-aware mm-hmm. that he, he knew he was saying it that way. And you, like you said, he was being a bit overdramatic right. or, or perhaps an alarmist with that line. And, and so I, cal- I calmed down on that after a few listens to the album as a whole. I did find an interview explaining what this song means to him or what it's trying to depict, which maybe contradicts what I said to some degree, but I, I think it I think it falls into the same theme. I'll, I'll go ahead and share this with you just to see what you think about it. He reported to Ones to Watch magazine, this song tries to look at the negotiation of space between two people, balancing comfort and closeness with a need for independence. The song takes place in the first moment you find yourself alone after an intense experience with a friend, sorting through the layers of history, head swimming, revisiting frames of memory, seeing your relationship and yourself in it with startling clarity. I think I read that and potentially made that connection to this being a moment where that person has stepped past all the anxiety and irrational fear built up around trying to understand whatever event took place and that they're starting to get some clarity. And then I read into the lyrics and that's probably a part of the reason why I saw some hope in that. But it's very interesting to hear his take on the song, especially since we know he was going through a a challenging time in his life surrounding that incident that we briefly explained earlier. It's, It's difficult after hearing that quote from him to not connect this to that particular incident and and think that it's potentially autobiographical uh, to some degree. It really was hard and mentioned I like that outro, but yeah, I was having a hard time on the can I believe in a me before I knew you line. Mm-hmm. Just being like, okay, how how do you not connect those things? But Right, yeah. I, I wonder how much of it too would be him very truthfully saying, oh no, that's not what I meant, but that subconscious part when you're writing comes through whether you want it to or not sometimes. So... Yeah. It's just hard to say, even even for him, perhaps, Mm -hmm. how much of it is and how much of it isn't. Yeah. And then there's that line, well, when you walk away, you still exist and I feel good knowing it. You know, whether we look at this and and try to pin it on the events and the information we know about the band, or we, we simply look at that in the context of a relationship, when things don't work out and people go their separate ways, this line, you still exist and I feel good knowing it to me is a a way of of saying that even though things didn't work out and we went our separate ways, I still care about you and I'm I'm glad that you still exist. It makes me feel good to know that you're still doing your thing even though you've walked away and we're not together anymore. The the song goes on to say, if it hurts me, why I rely so much on in the first place, if it's happening, then, then why is this feeling taking over me? Again, that shows there's some uncertainty or confusion in, in how this person is supposed to move on from, from this situation and, and try to sort through the, the issues and make sense of it in their head. And then I mentioned that those lyrics definitely had an emo bend to them. And mm-hmm. then musically, I could hear some of that 
in this as well. That circular guitar picking around that 235 part. Reminded me of some of those kind of late 90s, early 2000s guitar sounds. And then, of course, their other influence being more the roots country. They also have a lap steel guitar in this song. So it's an interesting combination. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that steel guitar was pretty cool in this song. I think I mentioned before, I'm always a sucker for the steel guitar. <laughs> pretty much, you throw that in a song, I, I end up saying, I like that. <laughs> steel guitar and cowbell, right, Trevor? Oh, that's right, I also like the cowbell. <laughs> Gets you every time. But no, it's a good song. I, I guess maybe that's part of why I liked it. I, you read the description of the band, and then you, you hear all of those elements within one song and done so well, I think, I think it's a pretty cool song. I didn't quite understand the outro. Maybe you can help explain that. He, he repeats four times, can I believe in the me before I knew you beautifully? The, the word beautifully throws yeah, me off. Yeah, but same here. As I, had, as I had said before, the can I believe in a me before I knew you is the part where I was like, oh, come on, I'm trying not to attach everything to this. Oh, that's right. Situation. You mentioned that. Sorry, um, I wasn't really paying attention to what you were saying. <laughs> no, that's that's okay. But 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 you're right about the once you throw that word in there, I, I'm like I don't know what he exactly meant having that last word tacked onto it. But yeah, I guess if you strip that word away, it makes sense. Can I can I believe in the person I was, or do I have the ability to get back to being that person before I met you, before I knew you? But then if you if you throw in that beautifully part, maybe the fact that he knew this person in a beautiful way made him the person that he enjoyed being, who he has become. And if I have to resort to the person I was before I saw you so beautifully, I might not believe in that person anymore because I'm not that person, but yet I can't be the person that I've become because it was based on you being here and now you're not. So maybe again, it's left him in this state of not really knowing how to make sense out of the past and move on in light of whatever has happened. I just like the sound of that outro. I, I didn't necessarily unpack it all lyrically, but I just thought it was a really cool transition from musically from the way the song started. Yeah, definitely. Let's keep moving through the album. All right. So track four is, is where conceptually looking at this album, breaking down and clustering the songs, I feel we transition to a section where this individual is starting to come up with a plan, realizing that there needs to be some action to deal with this issue. And we, we first get introduced to that in track number four, No Drugs. Yeah, now things rushing out. I want to feel good. I want to feel good. Is it enough just to want to, even if you need it? So musically, this song really takes a turn in my opinion it 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 sounds really folky almost like a, a lullaby or, or nursery rhyme to some sense in the beginning with with the, the soft instrumental there's also some pop elements it almost feels like it could be a simple radio song that a lot of people would enjoy listening to lyrically 
I, I think this is a transition into coming up with a, a plan to deal with the emotions and challenges that we've been exposed to in tracks one through three that this person is going through in their life. I did see in an interview with, with Atwood Magazine, the lead singer, Evan, who wrote all these songs by himself with the exception of one that uh, the drummer contributed some to, had stated, I wrote that song from the perspective of trying to challenge myself to lead a more intentional life. I've struggled with my relationship to drugs and alcohol, really trying to figure out if there's any way that it benefits me or not. Right now I'm in the not camp. I'm, I'm not using any of that stuff and it's actually going very well. It's good creatively too. I didn't, I didn't really expect that. I, I think that I'd been using, especially weed and alcohol as a creative crutch. They were part of the process. They were baked in, so to speak. And that wasn't really serving me anymore. I had to acknowledge that. And that's been tough. It took me a long time. I'm still early on in the process. That's an important one to me. I hope that anybody who's struggling with something similar might find something helpful in it. I didn't realize that, that he had struggled with drugs and alcohol at all before, before stumbling on this. I thought it was just a simple song, some catchy lyrics saying, I'm not going to use any substances that impair my judgment or memory because I want to remember everything we talk about today. I really want to be in the moment. Clearly, he's talking to somebody important, somebody he cares about. Let's build a new house for us to live. You fortify the outside. I got the interior. I got the materials. Is it so wrong? All I want to do is feel good. I didn't really think that that musically or lyrically this sounded like a song written by somebody who's reflecting on their personal experiences with drugs and alcohol and, and wanting to move on and live an intentional life. But apparently that was what influenced this song and that could be either the first or one of many steps to dealing with the turmoil that we're, we're exposed to in the first few tracks. It's cool to have that context. I didn't know that he struggled with those things and that he was battling them. The thing that made this song interesting to me lyrically was, it almost made me laugh because it starts out so resolute, right? No, no drugs and alcohol today. I want to remember everything. Even that third line, I want to feel light moving in everything you say. It sounds like such a beautiful promise you'd make. Mm -hmm. And then immediately he's like, well, but maybe there's sometimes that it'd be okay, right? Yeah. So what if you, what if I do it sometimes and you look the other way? Like, you sound so resolute at the beginning and then clearly he's still wrestling with those things. I, I thought that's what made this an interesting song. It would be kind of boring if he just decided, you know what, I'm done with drugs and I'm going to write a song about it. It shows you that there's still some multidimensional elements to his relationship with that, even if he's not actually using anymore. Yeah, because he, he says uh, before that line, that you mentioned, like maybe certain circumstances are permissible. He says, but part of me is caveated out, meaning I'm not really interested in setting any demands, conditions, limitations, or stipulations on, on how I'm supposed to live my life. So maybe, yeah, maybe I can let it slide a few times, but this is probably something I should do, you know, for the most part. Yeah, but then maybe there, there's an element too where somebody else is is requesting it or pushing for it because that, that next line, maybe I just could and you could just look the other way. So mm -hmm. I don't know if, if that's him that wants to personally make this change that he came upon it himself, or if maybe there's been some people who are close to him who came to him and, and said that he should probably at least think about that. I read in an interview that one of his biggest influences is an artist named Phil Elvram, who's not a super well-known artist. He's from Anacortes, Washington, which is really northwest part of Washington. So close back to again, my neck of the woods. He's this lo-fi artist that records a lot on analog, and he's written a couple albums that are 
really inspirational to a lot of artists. I'm not surprised that Evan likes him, but man, there's parts of this song that his voice sounds exactly like Phil Elverum's right at the beginning, that that light, vulnerable part before he starts singing a little, little bit more power behind his voice just sounds exactly like, listen to anything Phil Elverum's done, whether it be with the microphones or Mount Erie, one of his other projects, very, very similar vocal style in that I, I can hear the influence for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, he's great. This was another one that I was struck by. We, we were talking in the beginning of the podcast about how his lyrics are different than a lot of other songwriters in that they're a little bit more conversational. Mm-hmm. The way he bends certain words to make them rhyme or, or make them fit that word circumstances is the end of one phrase and the beginning of the other when he says like maybe certain circumstances are permissible Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool and then later when he says in that second verse and he says yeah it's weird to think I had it always is one of the lines as if he was in mid-conversation with somebody else yeah I I heard that element of stretching the the words and lyrics to fit the music come out in this one for sure and I'm sure it's intentional that he references Skylight in this song as an homage to his prior album oh I missed that I can see an outline settled in the gray there he is with his colors again yeah I like it when writers leave little Easter eggs like that in songs that if you're not paying attention you might miss yeah What do you think's packed inside that Easter egg of gray? I guess it could be the shadow. Shadow's usually gray, but with his fascination of colors, I wonder if that's supposed to mean something darker. He mentions following his shadow or wearing his shadow like a uniform Hmm. in songs later, so it's not the first time he's talking about his shadow, but I don't know what he's trying to convey with that in this song. Mind blown. Should we keep moving on through the album? Yeah, let's do it. Unless you want to keep talking about drugs. (laughs) We'll save that for another time. All right. Track number five, Moment. Here we begin one of the many animals that gets injured in this album that Evan isn't sure what to do about. That line about the deer in the headlights. Yeah, yeah. I guess this is the first reference of an animal. We get a lot more. We get more. Later on at the end. Other than that little vignette about the animal getting hit, this song was lyrically one that I thought was fairly straightforward, especially the part about being in the moment and can't see past it in this disaster, in the traffic, all of it just sounds like what we're talking about, of feeling like being in the midst of the turmoil. Yeah, I think everybody's had a time in their life where they're really afraid to to find something out, to have the answer or outcome revealed to them. They know they have to face that at some point. So they're scared to know because it could be really bad, but you you can't sit and wait and and be scared forever. So you, you need to know but you don't really want to know because it might not be what you want to hear, but but you got to know so you can get past it, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I wonder if, if that is what we're supposed to make of of him encountering this, this animal in the road and swerving, flailing, screaming, shouting in the dark, saying anything I can. 
I, w- I would imagine we're supposed to think that this animal was hit and uh, maybe he pulled over and he's scared to find out if he actually hurt the animal, killed it, if it's still there. But man, he's got to know he can't just drive on. He's got to face whatever happened and deal with it. Right. Yeah. But I, I was reading through the lyrics here. I don't see anything about a deer. It it could have just as well been a buffalo. That's true, I suppose. Yeah, it was. that was my assumption, just thinking of the most likely... <laughs> deer in the headlights. I think the part that made me think... It, well, it says, scared stiff in the lights of the van, and so that phrase, yeah. deer in the headlights, is uh, is the thing that immediately popped into my head. But you're right, it doesn't explicitly yeah. say I mean, deer. I, I inserted that myself. Yeah. It's easier to cope with that than hitting something like a giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't tell you how many times I've hit a giraffe while driving and just been like, oh man, I got to get out of the car and make sure that giraffe's still alive. <laughs> He's there like tucking his head in through your moonroof like, dude, <laughs> didn't you see me? I'm like eight feet tall. <laughs> how can you miss me? Couldn't be any bigger, damn it. I'm a giraffe. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> All right, let's just assume it was a deer because... I mean, we've all we've all come to terms with the fact that deer get in the way too often and sometimes they get hit. It's sad, but it's a fact of life. I was thinking too, the other thing I wrote down to talk about musically about this song, and I don't have a lot to mention on this song, but the other thing that I did write is it's got a really abrupt ending. It, when you're listening to it on headphones, I actually thought my phone malfunctioned for a second because it's sort of this twinkling guitars that just sort of meander off and then they just kind of cut mm-hmm. very quickly. I don't know if you noticed that and every more than once when I was listening to this album I had to pull my phone out and go did I just lose internet connection and, and why am I not hearing the rest of this song right now but that's how it ends and um, I wondered if that was intentional in some way or another. I think so. I picked up on that a little bit too. And if you, if you look at the way it ends, the whole the whole song seems a uh, a little dark. Getting back the the theme of the the first three songs that that I was describing earlier in in the way that I looked at it contextually, I think that ending is key on this song. And, and musically, the way it finishes with those lyrics accompanying it makes me feel that this song is placed well in that middle section of the story because despite being scared to know but needing to know and in the the incident with encountering this animal and and running into it and screaming and shouting and and all these terrible emotions that are being displayed it finishes with i'm in this moment and i can see past it i'm in this disaster i'm in this traffic and it keeps on going but it keeps me asking what's in this moment you know, so I think he's coming to grip with the fact that he's maybe going through all of these challenges, these dark, difficult emotions for a reason. And he's starting to question, what am I supposed to get from this? What's in this for me? What will I gain from this experience? How can I use this to make me a, a better person, learn from it and move on? And that is a, a sense of maturity and a, a, a reflection or a sign that this person has moved beyond the initial fright stage of anxiety and irrational fear to a place of, hey, I can deal with this. I know I keep getting thrown all these difficult challenges, but I'm learning how to cope with them. I'm starting to appreciate the fact that this is happening for a reason. And I'm going to start seeing what's in this moment for me. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for sure. That's about all I had personally on this one. 
Yeah, I wanted to make one more comment musically. You talked about how it, it really changes, kind of catches you off guard at the end there. I uh, thought that earlier in the song, there, there's something really cool musically as well. And that's where it, it almost sounds like a poem or, or written words, spoken words. Then on, on the bad long drive home, I encountered an animal scared stiff in the lights of the van. And he's like, he's not really singing, he's talking and it's moving really fast. And And then the next line, and he says... And I swerved and I flipped, you know, and he starts singing again. Um, then yeah, I was screaming, yeah. I was shouting in the dark, saying anything I can, damn. you know, so it's like he's jumping back and forth between like just telling a story, reading like a kid's book to actually trying to sing and throw some stuff in there. But man, there's, there's so much emotion and it's like a musical roller coaster in a sense. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that before we moved on to the next one, because you're right, he does, it's, it is almost like he's up on stage telling a story, mm-hmm. if, if he's trying to connect you with what's happening, put you in that moment of like, oh my gosh, it's happening right now, there's a car. Yeah. Instead of him, it doesn't sound like him recalling a story, it sounds like he's saying, no, we're here right now, mm-hmm. this is happening right now. Yeah. Uh, that, you're right. That was cool. And the word swerve, actually, he's that word, that yeah, yeah. line swerves he, yeah. as he says it. He's yeah. saying it like his voice was swerving as, as he stated that word, which is really cool. Yeah, you're right. I'm glad we, we mentioned that. I read that. probably close to 10 reviews from well-known magazines on this album. And I swear there was an equal number of votes for best song or highlight track for almost every track on this album coming from different people mm-hmm. but if i tally it up a lot of people surprisingly to me said that this song moment will stand out as a, a defining song something that is potentially one of the best songs that pine grove has ever written and i didn't initially think that i know you you mentioned your favorite song earlier being the alarmist uh, my, mine's coming up here in a couple songs phase there's another track uh, toward the end that really grew on me that I think is one of my favorite, Endless, and then I'd probably throw track one dotted line up there. But I, I really didn't think that Moment was one of the highlights from this album, but a lot of other music critics and well-known people in the industry said this was one of the best songs on the track. Did did you think that, or was this one that you listened to and kind of brushed over and said, oh, that's cool, but but moved on without really like dialing it in or, or uh, thinking about it a lot? I'm more in your camp. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have any songs that I was like ready for them to be over, Right. Yeah. but this one didn't stand out to mm-hmm. me amongst others. I listed a few just for fun as we were comparing notes on what our favorites were. I had my top three and and you did, and this wasn't on either one of ours, I don't think. So, um, yeah, it's I think mm-hmm. it, it's a good song, and, and I, it didn't stand out to me. But that, I, I agree. I read a bunch of reviews, and a whole bunch of them cited this one or other ones, mm-hmm. and it's kind of yeah. cool. I think when you mentioned that to me, you were saying that's kind of a cool sign of a good album if you can have a lot of different opinions on what's the best. I think throughout this process, even though we're really early on in this podcast, we've only reviewed a few albums. One thing that I think we've both realized, because I've, I've heard from you and I feel the same way myself, is that sometimes on first listen, you might have a favorite song, but then after you dive into the lyrics, maybe it changes to another one. And then after you and I get together and discuss our thoughts and point at other things, we say, oh, wait, no, I think that's my favorite song now. So every song has something that will potentially make it stand out if, if you if you give it give it some time, whether that's musically, lyrically, or how it connects to the rest of the album. And I think the more you dive in to an album, the more you will find a way to appreciate 
every song and and uh, the amount of work that goes into it and and the the message that the band was trying to get across and uh, you know the fact that it means something to them clearly because it ended up on the album so if you give it a chance if you let it grow on you a lot, a lot of times you, you'll find that maybe songs didn't connect with originally end up being pretty powerful I, I agree 100 percent there was one more thing musically on this before we we move on because it, it feeds right in with what we were talking about in the part where he's saying scared to know i'm scared to know the way the song uh starts out but i need to know when, when he's when he's singing those words it almost sounds like he's scared like he's intentionally making his voice shake a little bit and and it's i i don't want to say off pitch necessarily it, it's not an unpleasant sound but it's it's definitely not polished with intention Evan is a good singer. He can hit the notes. He can he can sing pretty, and we hear that on some songs. But clearly, that was not the goal with this song. I think he's he's really trying hard to sound like a scared person to fit in with the lyrics and the music, and not so worried about somebody saying that he missed a note or he didn't enunciate that properly. I don't I don't feel like that's a big priority to him, even though he is very talented and he's a great singer. That doesn't seem to be a focal point, at least not on this album, not on these songs. No, and in fact, it may, like you said, be a focal point, not just saying that he's going to be okay with that happening. It, it may be that he actually wants to convey some of that. He wants to show some vulnerability or ability to break free of the constraints of a song at times in order to convey a, an emotion more than, a, more than the musical ability. Yeah, and that's, that's really challenging to do, especially for somebody who, who knows how to hit the notes and knows how things are supposed to sound who has a, a background in choral music or has been coached by somebody to sound a certain way to go against the grain and sing something that that's not totally the way it's supposed to be sung or the way a choir director would want it to sound but also needing it to be pleasant enough that people enjoy listening to it is a fine line to flirt with and i think he does a really good job of pushing the barriers but still allowing the music and lyrics to sound pleasant. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think we're ready to move on. You've been wanting to move on for a while now, and I keep saying, wait, one more thing. <laughs> so <laughs> That's all right. All right, let's move on to track number six. This one's titled Hairpin. Hairpin was another grower for me. Uh, this is one that didn't immediately jump up into one of my favorites, but by the time I listened to this album several times, it was. And I think it's because there was quite a few things to unpack and metaphors and imagery that popped up in this one. This one grew on me a little bit too, musically. I'm not sure I connected to the lyrics too much. I did a little bit of research to try to dig into some of those metaphors, but I didn't really come up with anything too mind-blowing. So... If you have anything to share... This is the point in the album where it sounded like he was starting the rebirth process, trying to come out of all of the things that had been happening. My favorite lines on this are, through asphodel eyelids, one eye at a time. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to go home and be there when the new world comes. So 
all of that imagery reminds me of somebody coming back to life. That word asphodel, I had to look up. It means remembered beyond the tomb. And it's a flower in Greek mythology that was connected to the dead in the underworld. Oh, cool. And so to stick that on his eyes and then talk about them slowly opening and envisioning a new world mm -hmm. was like somebody coming back from being dead. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and uh, I, I looked that up too, but I, I think I tried pairing it with the line before and I didn't really know how to connect the two. The line before says, through infidel skies. Infidel is defined as a person who does not believe in religion or who adheres to a religion other than one's own. So what would the connection of that be to the line about the asphodel eyes? I just viewed that as the skies looked very treacherous, mm. that they looked hostile to him in that moment. And even through that and his eyes that have death on them, He's one eye at a time, try to come back from sort of the metaphor of coming back from mm -hmm. the dead is, is how I yeah. took that, that the skies was fighting against that, but he was slowly trying to move through it. Yeah. And simply looked up infidel for that definition to try to make that connection. But initially when I saw that, I thought of the word infidelity and in infidel is a root word to that. I don't know if by itself it has any connection to that, but obviously we know what the word infidelity means. And knowing a little bit about the incident that put this band on hiatus for a while, I was I was curious if that had anything to do with it, if they were looking at this through the eyes of infidelity. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. This was one instance where I definitely didn't tie it back, at least that line specifically to that prior incident. But um, I took this as you know, hairpin being a description of ups and downs in life. Mm -hmm. He goes on to describe in this song and sounds like he's maybe got somebody in the midst of all this that is helping him get through it. He, he wakes up grinding his teeth, but this person is there smiling. His friend threw these hairpin bends. It says, you do upend my island, that phrase that no man is an island. Sometimes if you're feeling lonely or you're going through something, you start to feel like, I feel, I do feel like an island. Maybe that phrase is, is not true. Mm -hmm. And so him saying, you, you upend that was another theme to this song. Did you notice how the lines that we were talking about a minute ago got altered in that last verse? Which ones? Through infidel skies, through asphodel eyelids. At the end, he changes it and it says, through zinfidel eyes, through infinite aisles. And zinfidel is like a, a red wine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Through infinite aisles. I'm not sure. I think that's why this song threw me a little bit because I was a little frustrated that I couldn't figure out what all those references might, might be to. And I guess I gave up on it a little bit trying to make sense out of it because I was confused by some of those curveballs. It could relate back to the prior line that says, you do upend my islands. He's saying through infinite aisles, like all of these times that I continue to feel like I'm alone, mm -hmm. you know, through all yeah. of that one mile at a time, you're still there for me and I, I can't wait to go home or get back to where the new world is, where I can feel like I'm reborn again and starting over. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. Job well done. This was the most Death Cab for Cutie, Ben Gibbard sounding <laughs> vocals of any, those particular words that yeah. we just talked about, the Zinfandel eyes. Yeah, how he drug it out a little bit. Zinfandel eyes. Yep. Zinfandel eyes. Through 
totally sounds like a, a death cab. Yeah. And and the imagery that he uses reminds me of a Death Cab song. So you talked about him being influenced by a Death Cab. I didn't read that prior to you saying it, but I had written down Death Cab over and over again on my notes to this album and particularly this song. So I was I felt validated when you mentioned that he said that that was an influence. I I definitely hear that, and especially on this song. Yeah, agreed. I I really like that connection. Awesome. Let's move on to the next one. That's my favorite. This is. You mentioned this one's your favorite. This is track seven. This is Shane's favorite, and this is Phase. Yeah, I mentioned this. This is my favorite song on the track, or at least this song that was my favorite on on first run through. And I, I think I could still stand by it. I like this one musically because of the the pace, the way it was being being pushed forward. I, I just thought the, the the sound was really enjoyable, really really uh, kind of uplifting. If you don't listen to the lyrics, if you don't pay attention to that too much, and you simply listen to how the music makes you feel, it it really has this sense of excitement and and uh i almost got the sense that the music is rushing the lyrics along a bit but not too much Mm -hmm. almost like the singer wants to slow down but but the band is saying no you gotta you gotta keep pushing this pace you gotta keep up you know not so much to the point that it feels forced but just enough to to keep it where they want it and it it to me, it gives that feeling of racing thoughts, a little bit of anxiety mixed with excitement, maybe some desperation, and a little bit of hope and encouragement or optimism that potentially I'm seeing the way through this and I'm going to push forward and, and work through it, which fits in with this middle section of the album, how I think this is grouped with the last couple songs that, that we reviewed as that that point where an action plan is starting to, to develop a little bit despite the fact that things are still a little chaotic. This one felt the most chaotic to me. If, if I was going to put a stamp on the song that is the most anxiety and the most lost and not sure what he's going to mm-hmm. do, I would put it on this one. That may not necessarily be the lowest point for him or the narrator because sometimes you get that nervous anxiousness that really then starts to propel you out of whatever yeah. you're doing. Sometimes the worst is in your when you're wallowing and you're not moving at all and it just feels like you're stuck. This one feels like this this is the most anxiety-ridden yeah, song definitely. of the album to me. I mentioned that he doesn't get quite as emo as my heart is out in the garbage, but I'm torn right in two right through divided right in two is a close second to that on this one. So back to where you can see a bit of that emo influence, but once again I I because I take the album as a whole, I, I don't hold that part so much against him. I, I don't think that's a bad line in the context of the rest of the way he writes. Yeah, I would, I would agree. You're, you're spot on with the feelings of anxiety that are provoked by this song. I, I did read in an interview that Evan said this song is about insomnia and all the thoughts that a person cycles through when they're unable to sleep at night. 
when they have all these competing thoughts or ideas racing through their head that are preventing them from going to sleep at night because they feel this pressure to take care of all of these issues. Yeah, he mentioned some of those things in this song, mm-hmm. right? He's talking about maybe if he'd carve a path in his floor or kind of clean up his room. He says, I'm consumed by all the shit in my room. Just little things that keep you awake when you are that anxious and you just can't fall asleep. That line at the beginning ties back to the first song right out of the gate. He said that night when I lifted my Mm -hmm. head up. So I did tie that song to this one because my thoughts on the metaphor of lifting your head up is being distracted. And if there's one word that goes hand in hand with anxiety, it's being distracted by every little thing. If you are having an anxious day, you don't know where to start. Every little thing deters your focus. Sure. And so when he says that night when I lifted my head up, I took this as an insomniac night, him feeling super distracted by every little thing. And his head is clearly lifted up in this song, distracted by those things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I visualize somebody laying in bed, tossing and turning with their eyes shut, trying to fall asleep, trying to block out all the noise, slowly getting frustrated, irritated at the fact that they can't fall asleep. Maybe they've opened their eyes to look at the clock a few times and seen that it's 10 and then it's 11 and midnight and all of a sudden it's two in the morning and they they start getting frustrated at the fact that they can't fall asleep. And all of a sudden they jump out of bed or they lift their head up, they, they, they're they laying on their back and they all of a sudden come to a, a, an upright sitting position, you know, up in arms. All right, that's it. I give up. I can't fall asleep. And that's when they look around the room and they start seeing all the stuff they have to get done. Yeah, he's aligning his the books in his library by the colors. I think I read some interview where he said, it's the moments like that where you feel like, I should have read all these books. <laughs> yeah. I don't need, you know, that stuff yeah. like that where you're just in the middle of the night going, I've I had should a few do of those issues. You sent me, um, yeah, you sent me a couple days ago a music video yeah. for this song. And I had already thought of the insomnia. And then the music video is a guy that's basically like a sleepwalker. Exactly. Yeah. He's, it's the almost the opposite. He's, he's sleeping everywhere he goes as opposed to can't sleep. Yeah. In his room. Yeah. But he, but he hears this, this music ringing in his ear in his head and he, he wakes up wondering what, what the heck's going on here. And it's almost like he's led on this subconscious journey to find the music. And eventually he stumbles into the garage where this band is playing the song and he grabs the guitar and mic and the band looks at him like, who is this guy? And he starts playing and they're like, well, he can play. Let's just play. Let's keep going. He, you know, he's, he's legit. <laughs> and they just invite him in. Yeah. If, if you're listening and you haven't seen that music video, Go, go check it out. I think it's yeah, worth watching. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I did read in another interview, Evan elaborating on this song and its purpose or significance within the album as a whole. And I wanted to share that because I, I think it's fascinating and it definitely suggests that there is a concept or theme to this that we're, we're supposed to connect with or pick up on by the end of the album. He says, within the album, there's this one endless night that's referred to over the course of a few different songs some retrospectively and some in the moment. And phase is the song that is supposed to be what that night is like. And endless is referring to this endless night. The first line of phase, that night when I lifted my head up, that, that's what I'm referring to. So I'm trying to connect the dotted line on endless here. They should be in conversation with phase. I've zeroed in on this night and want to talk for the length of the song, what that night was like. And he goes on to say it's a song about nighttime anxiety, about 
little anxious versions of yourself marching around on your pillow, looking around your room, seeing stacks of books you should have read by now, seeing a pile of... There, there's the one yeah, I read, yeah. Seeing a pile right. of clean but unfolded laundry, making a list of things you should be doing besides sleeping or stuff that you're anxious about, accumulating in list form. There's some half dream, hallucinatory second verse, the bramble scratching at the window, the silver shining on the thorns. Everything is a little extreme there, kind of how the moon can haunt your consciousness. I'm embarrassed to say up until this moment, I didn't really connect the title phase mm -hmm. and the moon. So I was thinking of being in a phase emotionally, yeah. but he has all the moon imagery. Sure, of course, yeah. he's trying to have that double entendre of the phases of the moon as well. I hadn't made that connection either. I, I just That's thought awesome. of that. And yeah. then he goes on to say, more than anything, I'm excited to point out this song's relationship to Endless and to Dotted Line. I kind of see it as the centerpiece from a narrative perspective of the album. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so if you look at the, the lyrics and think back to Dotted Line and then what we'll talk about later with the track Endless, this ongoing night is definitely a common theme throughout this album. And Dotted Line first introduces it with everything we discussed earlier. This brings it up again, and then Endless gives a little different perspective on it later on in the album that pieces it all together. Even though the lyrics are fairly spelled out in this one, I, I read into it a bit deeper as well, or took it to a, another level, especially the line where he says, I'm consumed by all the shit in my room. We, we could look at that literally and say this person has woken up from the night or finally gotten up after a night that they couldn't fall asleep because they have insomnia. They look around their room and they literally see a bunch of stuff, books that need to be organized, laundry that needs to be folded. In reality, those things don't really matter. Those aren't things that keep you awake at night. So it's almost like a crutch in a sense. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to organize all these books. I'm going to fold my laundry and I'm going to take care of all these trivial little projects. But that's not going to solve the problem that's keeping you awake at night. That's that's not the source of your insomnia. It's, it's probably a, a cover-up or something to distract you or allow you to not deal with the real shit that's bothering you and... In that sense, I, I thought maybe we can look at the word room as a, a metaphor that could possibly mean everything that makes up you as a, a human being or that defines where you're at in, in your life or what level of organization and order right now in your life. Or possibly that your room could be a reflection of your past, your present, and your future. You look around, you see things that remind you of everything that's happened in your life. You, you, you see the projects that need to be finished, the things that are undone. Possibly that's more what is keeping you up at night, that the, the room may not physically mean your room. It could in that sense, but it could simply be that you need to clear out all the shit that's consuming your head. Yeah, that makes sense too. So as I was mentioning before, Evan said this track serves as the centerpiece from a narrative perspective, but it also connects to a song that we listened to previously, Dotted Line, and one that we have coming up next, which is track eight titled Endless.
such a beautiful song, and this was definitely one of the ones that was vying for my favorite on the album. I'm sticking with The Alarmist as my favorite, but this one was really great too. And right out of the gate, he's showing those conversational lyrics. He says, is life kicking up dust right now? Has life given up for you right now? But he tacks on the word as well, and it just makes it sound a little bit more like a conversation or like somebody talking. Because the rhyme already ended, and then he just puts on a couple more words because that's probably how you would say it if you were talking. The thing is, you still hear the rhyme, and so it still puts that song-like structure with your head as you're listening to it. But then tacking on those extra couple words just gives an extra little conversational element that I, I liked. Yeah, and then the next line, oh, what is life giving us? I'm not sure if he's speaking in a general sense of what what's life throwing at us, but definitely a, a conversation between him and him himself or other people or, or, or somebody else experiencing similar issues. Yeah, you're right. That last line tacked on there too does sound like he's having a conversation as well. Not just the structure, but having another line where it's actually a question, you know, what is what is life giving us, us pulling in another person? So adding to that same conversational piece. Yeah, and we're still in that, that middle section of songs that I, that I've lumped together that I feel is the part where we see a little bit more genuine hope coming to terms with the the fact that it's okay to go through difficult times there is an end in sight that you have to stay the course try to come up with some action plan that that will help you get through it but more than anything simply be there be present and and uh learn from it and and uh move forward eventually he says I wake up and feel totally the same. I woke up the same as yesterday with no news of any kind, the long morning, the white afternoon, and the night could be coming soon too when it finally does. And that verse, you you've, you feel like he's still stuck. Every day looks the same. You know, the morning comes around and then he's waiting for the evening and then the morning will come again. This almost goes back to track two that we talked about where you were mentioning how you can pull off one of those small calendars that that says good morning, good morning, good morning, one day after the next, mm-hmm. very repetitious. So he's still stuck in, in this this endless cycle. And then the chorus simply says it's it's endless, endless. And the way he sings that song, that word endless, it really it sounds endless. It it sounds like he's dragging out that word endless as long as he possibly can. <laughs> it's like you're reading my notes. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. Not only did I like how that musically related to the word yeah. itself, but even just taking out the the message behind it, back to why I thought this was so beautiful, it does highlight his singing ability where he can, it's the stair step on that word where he, he goes from one note to the next in contrast to the um the swerve yeah. where he kind of bends that around and, and hits a whole bunch of notes on endless it's it's broken up it i'm not gonna be able to do it right. but you know he's he's saying endless. Mm-hmm. you know it's definitely uh more of like a uh, you would sing in more of a choral piece right yeah then i just thought it was so pretty and then it and then at the very end he does kind of bring a choral aspect to it and brings other voices in it and that is um, really cool the bottom just drops out of that song at that point
Oh man, I, I absolutely love that that outro. I listened to that part over and over. That sounded so nice, and that that I think is what again makes this song deserve a spot in the middle of this album. If we look at it from a, from a concept standpoint or perspective, even though the lyrics would sound like there hasn't been progress, the music, the the song itself is pretty. It's pleasant. It's it's easier to listen to. It's not as dark and intense and aggressive as some of the the previous songs and similar to a couple of the previous tracks before this where he's acknowledging that there's still this this turmoil there's there's a sense of hope and it's typically at the end of the song basically saying i i'm still going through all these problems but there is a light and in this song i think that's evident in verse two when he starts out by saying but it's an honor to feel this way if he's truly apprehensive, anxious, not wanting to move forward or, or do anything because he's so worried about the outcome or, or what, what's going to happen at the end of this process, he wouldn't say it's an honor to feel this way. So that's another reflection that I think he's accepting the fact that this is a part of life and this will, if he goes through the process, potentially make him a better person and make him stronger in the end. He goes on to say to, to feel the color of the longest day because it's a shadow that many know. And well, it's feeling pretty bad to me, but I don't think it goes on endlessly. You see that how he flips it there after saying endless, 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 this whole theme of this night that will just never end. He sees he sees the end is near, but he's not he's not super eager to get to it now. But now he, he's, he's saying, all right, I, I'm in this, I'm doing it. Let me do this the right way. I'm going to complete this process. I'm going to make sure that I'm fully consumed by this, but I'm not as scared as I was before because I'm pretty confident it's not going to go on forever. I have some hope. Let's not rush the process. Let's stay in the moment and and uh, really do this you know, the right way. I think you summed it up exactly. I, I had all those same thoughts. The, the part about an honor to feel this way does start to feel like he's coming out of it at this point. The, that's why I thought FaZe was in the thick of the most anxiety-ridden part yeah. of this album. And now I, I see it starting to turn. And so in contrast to the title Endless, if you're just reading through these tracks, you might think this is going to be the, the biggest downer. And maybe it starts out feeling that way. But but yeah, it, you can tell it's coming out of it. And then again, we talked about how pretty oh, that man. outro is. Amazing. It was those other voices coming back in made you feel like if you were in that situation where you're feeling stuck that you've got other people maybe coming in to yeah. help you out and pull you out of that tough part too so i saw this as a turning point yeah yeah same here and i i wonder if he's specifically referring to somebody when he says repeatedly hold me forever you know when when this is over when I can bury this and put this behind me, I still need somebody to hold me, stay with me, hold me forever. There's this this sense of of strength and and confidence, but yet still some vulnerability and and uh, a need for for love and compassion that that he can't do it alone. I was thinking back to the first song again, dotted line, and wondering if those people and imagining those voices coming in are whoever he's going back home to in in Jersey. Yeah. Trying to get back to where maybe people knew him before he right. was famous, reminding you who you are, those that kind of things. very well could be. I believe he does shed a little bit of light on this or expand on, on this idea in the next track. Let's talk about the next one. That would be track nine. The song is called Alcove. Dark, 
This is a, a rather short song. Lyrically, there, there's only about 10 or 12 lines in the song. I mentioned earlier that Evan wrote all the tracks by himself except for one. And I believe it was this track, Alcove, that the drummer, Zach Levine, contributed some as well. So they collaborated a bit on this song. I thought musically it was a little different. It, it kind of introduced us to some other genres that Pine Grove is able to cover, including a little bit of country, kind of alt country, some folk, and even some blues sounds in there. I hear that in this song for sure. Lyrically, it's pretty simple. Basically, he's saying that he'll go wherever he needs to go to find the people that will comfort him, give him guidance or provide some advice potentially to help out with some of these issues that he's been going through up to this point in the album. But it's almost like he's asking for somebody to give him that direction because he says, I'll go if you want. I'll go to the West where my family is. I, I read in, in an interview that this song was inspired by a trip that Evan took to visit some of his extended family out in California. So that's what he's referring to as the West. And then, as you mentioned in the, the last song, potentially going back to New Jersey where his family is from, in this track, he, he also says that my friends in the East, they bring me peace. So it looks like he's going on this journey to connect with the people that he loves and cares about after he's finally getting out of his own way, getting out of his head, getting past some of these issues that have been holding him back, that have been complicating life for a while, and getting back to basic connections with other people that he cares about, that he hopes cares for him, maybe people that will hold him forever as he requests in that song previously. Yeah, this was a really pretty song as well. And the second one that references the title Marigold, the Alarmist first referenced Marigold or the album title. And now we see it again, only this time it says folded up in the front, like it's not fully bloomed, like it's still holding some things back, tying back into hairpin and, and the asphodel eyelids opening and, and that those things tie together to me, that marigolds sort of slowly starting to open and, and then those eyes starting to open as that rebirth might be happening. Yeah, beautiful. There was an interview I think I sent you where they talked about prior to this album being released, they released the tablature. Oh, yeah, yeah. Songs I, I listened to that. That was, that was great. That was really cool. I've never heard of anybody doing that before. I haven't either, and I wish more bands would do it. I, what a cool idea. For those of you listening that don't know much about tablature, it's it's basically just the guitar chords. It doesn't tell you anything about the strum pattern. It doesn't tell you anything about the pace of the song. The w words are separate sometimes, so it doesn't tell you where maybe the transition to the next chord would be and where the, the words might change. And so fans that are really obsessed with Pine Grove, they refer to themselves as Pine Nuts, mm -hmm. I read, or other, anybody else that just wanted to take on this challenge, the band had put out to say, here's, here's our tablature, here's the lyrics, try to come up with a song. So it was a really cool interview where they played some of these songs that the fans had created. And man, some of them were really good. There was a couple oh, of yeah. them that sounded similar, and then there were some that were just completely different. Let's play a couple that we especially like. This is 
Zabib Awalam playing her rendition of Alcove and Paul Yoon playing his rendition of Dotted Line. fun to listen to that NPR interview and hear Evan's immediate reaction after listening to some of the clips. And I think he had heard a lot of them already. In fact, he he requested that they play one or two that that he really liked. And it was it was great to hear his comments on how they they took those tabs and created a a, a song and he was he was really impressed with their ability to construct a, a song without having much information at all and some of them were pretty close to his vision with, with where he wanted to take the song and they sounded real similar yeah i was struck by that too it was kind of amazing that someone were as close as they were the npr interviewer asked evan if he'd reached out to these people at all if he'd connected with them in any way and whether or not he would consider letting some of them come up on stage and perform with him sometime and he said he hadn't yet, but he, he, would, he would love to do that. He'd, he'd love to reach out and talk music and, and uh, discuss what inspired them to, to create a song. Would potentially consider that. I think that'd be really cool to all of a sudden pull somebody out of the audience that happens to be an extremely talented musician as well up on stage, and they do this rendition that none of the fans have ever heard before. This is another one that I, of course, just had a really hard time disconnecting the incident from the lyrics when it says, I'll, I'll go if you want. You know, it, it did harken back to the agreement between him and his mm-hmm. accuser, basically her just saying that he, she wanted him to take some time off and reflect. Maybe he would object to that connection, but man, it, it's hard not to think about that when you read those words. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see that as well. I had to look up that word alcove. It wasn't in my vocabulary. It is defined as a recess opening off a room or other space enclosed by walls or hedges. In medieval architecture, it was commonly used as a sleeping space off the main body of a drafty hall. So potentially a closed off intimate space where somebody would go to collect their thoughts, think, maybe have a one-on-one with somebody, whether that's family, friend, therapist, significant other, somebody they're going through a difficult time with, but that they're willing to go there if that's what it takes. If that's what you want, we'll go there in the dark and talk about whatever needs to be talked about. Definitely another pretty song to follow up, Endless. This next song is not one that I really thought fit into my schema of the three sections that had had their 
different themes. But nonetheless, it's a, a really unique song. It's it's not like many that I've heard in the past, and it was it was a fun one. I know you you mentioned it was one that that you really enjoyed as well, Trevor. So let's talk about track number ten. It's titled Neighbor. some people's reviews on this that didn't really receive the album that well or were a bit of a critic of it and a, a, a few of them made similar comments that this this song was almost too self-reflective or or focused uh in, in the sense that the singer the character is is painting themselves as somebody who is doing everything they can to connect to nature to to love animals to, to to be there for them but there's this line where he says and I'm scared and I'm trying to do right but I guess I desecrate everything like basically saying I'm, I'm trying so hard I'm doing everything I possibly can but oh man you know what was me I guess I just mess everything up so people were criticizing this saying it's almost like a self-pity or, or cry for help song whether or not that's a reflection of the artist or the band or it's related to something entirely different people people were criticizing them for this and making assumptions tra- trying to draw connections from it I could see that line rubbing somebody the wrong way I don't have a love for that particular line that I'll defend one way or the other but I, I as you say that I can understand how maybe in the context of this the self-loathing on that line might be a bit eye-rolling perhaps I just like this song because I thought it was really interesting dividing it into three little sub stories that all involve animals so tying this back to the that song moment mm-hmm. where we talked giraffe. about the the giraffe deer or the yeah, <laughs> yeah. sorry the giraffe yeah. <laughs> that got uh, got hit by the car <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, the uh, how the music mimicked how he might have been feeling that energy behind it this one had yeah. some of that too in the second verse where so all right well let me back up so in the first verse we have a small little insect that is on its back just working really hard to flip itself over and he's watching this and realizes that there is a built-in mechanism that it's able to flip itself over and do and it was a lot of work but it did it he remembers looking at this and thinking wow that's actually pretty amazing that that's got this built-in squirmy mechanism to do that but then he thinks about himself and wonders if he would have worked that hard to get himself right side up in that situation. And then it goes on to this, the second part that I was about to talk about with an opossum that gets hit by a car. And so then the music gets quiet as he tries to walk slowly up because I, I like the line that says, it's clearly incumbent upon me to run out and try to do something. For some reason, he believes that 
since he's present, he's going to have to be the one to go out there and see if he can do something. But he, he clearly gets out there and he's over his head because he's like, what the hell yeah. am I going to do now while I'm out <laughs> right. here? And that's where that line that you were making fun of, or, or not, that, not making fun of, but that you mentioned that people were mm-hmm. criticizing comes. And that's where the music changes. He, he's, it's quiet as he's creeping up to see if this animal's okay. And then when he realizes there's nothing he can do, he it gets a little louder when he gets that self-criticism saying, I guess I desecrate everything because I can't help. I guess I desecrate everything. Well, I so there's that little story. And then it goes into this third story, a hunter and a migrating V of birds. And the hunter decides to pull out his gun and shoot the bird. His feeling on that is he doesn't understand why somebody would want to do that to the bird. But then you think back about him not really helping out that insect and him not knowing what to do with the Mm -hmm. possum. And so I think there's supposed to be some self-awareness. I think you're supposed to recall those first two stories and realize he's not much better. Maybe it's not intentional, but his folly doesn't help those in need any, any more than the hunter taking the bird on purpose. Yeah, there's a line in that verse three where he says, a V migrating down easy to a better climate. Do you remember when I was reading the statement that they put out before the release of this album about who it's all for? And there was there was a line about for anybody who's seen a, a, a V shape of birds flying off in the distance and simply stared at it until it was gone, until it was out of your sight. Oh, that's right. It's for somebody who's connected to nature and who appreciates that. It sounds like he's one of those people and he's making a little bit of a statement here against people who go out and shoot these beautiful creatures because this this marksman stands up, he has all this adrenaline, and he's smiling because we have to assume that he probably hit one of these geese. And then in the course, it goes, well, I love my neighbor, but don't understand his behavior. I love that bird, but I don't ever want to take her. You know, basically saying he doesn't really understand why somebody would do that. He loves that person. He loves people. He loves nature, but he doesn't quite understand why there's a a, a disconnect. Right. I think that is likely something that he holds as important, but I think that he really did want to convey the self-awareness of the fact that there are instances in how he acts, and again, not not trying to tie everything back to the incident hovering over this album, but just in life in general, that maybe he's unintentionally not much better than somebody that's trying to take this bird on purpose. You know, these other stories in this song don't end up so great for the animals. So I, I think that the interesting part of this song is that underlying self-awareness I don't think he's preaching against hunting so much, though I agree he probably does actually believe that that's something he wouldn't want to do personally. But I think that we're supposed to, as the listener, also realize that he's got some self-awareness at least enough to know that it's not quite that easy. Just loving your neighbor and not wanting to hurt the bird is not going to fix all the problems in the world. Yeah, I see that for sure. There's a part in this song where we hear his, his ability to stretch out those words to make it fit the music again. There's there's a there's a, a few lines probably, but the one that really stands out is is the opening in verse two where he says mid sized opossum in front of my mm-hmm. house dying. You know, it's like if you were to just look at those words and the music and the measure You'd be confused as to how that's all going to fit. I would have messed up the pine tabs to this song is what you're saying. 
Oh man. Yeah. 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 I, I think anybody would. Cause you know, he basically yeah. says, this is how I want the, the music to flow. This is how I want it to sound. Here's the words. I'm going to force them into this space and make it work. And it does. I mean, like most people would probably stumble over that as I just did trying to imitate it. But when you, when you hear the way he does <laughs> it, it's, you listen to the album and you see that he's really, really good at doing that. Yeah. You're right about yeah. that. Yeah, this was the one that just sounded the most like it could be a literary prose or something. It, For it sure. sounded like almost like a short yeah. story or something that someone would write in a creative writing class more than a, a song. If if someone threw these words down in front of me, I would not think this is a song. Yeah, agreed. Maybe despite that repeating chorus part. Right. And remember when we were talking about the history, he, he mentioned that he's inspired by a lot of musicians, but an equal number of authors, of writers. And one that he mentioned that we've talked about in the past was George Saunders, because he's also inspired Jason Isbell, another great lyricist. And I believe Saunders writes mostly children's books, kid stories, fictional books. But I, I could be wrong on that. But I remember the conversation he had with Isbell talking about character formation and how the, the detail is important and how you're supposed to paint a picture of something in the story and the words that people will be able to visualize. And like you said, this could stand alone as a, a short story. You could almost expand on this and have, instead of these three specific cases, you could have that happen to 10 to 20 different animals and write a little kid's book about it, uh, teaching them awareness of nature and uh, the interconnectedness of all things. Mm -hmm. I really like how the end of this song seamlessly transitions into the last track. I, I don't think there was any gap at all. In fact, when I was listening to it, I, I thought it was all one song and all of a sudden it, it ended. But then I looked back and I saw that, that there was a track 11, that the title track, Marigold, which is all instrumental. But despite the fact there's no lyrics, it, it really says a lot. It's It's beautiful and it's perfect for the ending of this album to tie everything together and, and give us some type of resolution or ending to the ride that we were just taking on throughout the previous tracks. Yeah, sometimes instrumentals feel a little bit like throwaways. I will say that as we've dove into some of these albums, the instrumentals that have come up on several of the albums we've picked have taken on more meaning because I've looked at them within the context of the album which I'm really glad we're doing and one of the things I'm loving about doing this podcast. This one is no exception to that and maybe the, the biggest example of that that we've encountered thus far in our deep dives because I thought it was basically a, a genius move at the end of this album amidst all of the some of the songs that feel like anxiety and depression and confusion, hairpin turns that this album takes you on. This one at the end does feel like it implies brighter days ahead. Mm -hmm. There's this feeling of sweeping the clouds yeah. away. And I had this vision during this of one of those time lapse of that marigold finally mm -hmm. opening and having, you know, the days fly by and you can see when it's light and dark and maybe insects flying overhead, you know, so quickly because it's time yeah. passed, but that flower looks like it's just slowly right, changing yeah. and opening. I was envisioning that throughout this. And, and I think it's, one of the, if not the longest song on the album. So they really do let you sit with that as you're listening to this song at the very end. I really liked this. It will probably be my favorite instrumental track that I've listened to in a long time. And it's cool to end this album. 
Yeah, I totally saw that marigold finally blooming and you're, you're sitting there mesmerized watching this process happen and you're seeing it finally open up. There, there were a lot of references to the marigold throughout the album. Obviously, it's the, the title of the album, but a few of the, the tracks mentioned it early on. There's the mention of seeing the marigold out in the garden but my heart is in the garbage. That's likely a marigold that hasn't started opening yet. And there's another reference later where they're starting to see it bloom, starting to see it it open up a little bit. I believe it mentions the the petals folded in or something to that effect. Yeah, that's on alcove, exactly. Right. Folded up in the front yep. in alcove, right? So starting to see it, it's it's still folded up, but maybe it's coming to form a little bit, possibly earlier. It's it's out in the garden. It could be a seed or it could be a, a sprout popping up, but it, it certainly hasn't bloomed yet if, if you connect that to the themes of the songs that we broke down into those three different categories. This certainly gives the message that this this flower has, has finally bloomed, potentially opening up life to a new chapter, moving forward, getting on with it and, and moving past uh, some of the, the difficulties that were depicted in some of the previous songs. I did some research and I saw that the marigold is associated with the sun, of course, being vibrant, yellow and gold in color. The flowers are open when the sun is out. The marigold is also called the herb of the sun, representing passion and even creativity, which I think is spot on with Evan's passion for music and his creativity with lyrics and the way he constructs the songs to try to get some of his messages out there. It is also said that marigolds symbolize cruelty, grief, and jealousy. It can mean to show strong passion, being associated with the legendary brave and courageous lion. So there's a lot of different symbols that can be pulled from that marigold. I think you mentioned earlier that the marigold is also associated with Dia de los Muertos, and there's a, a connection there that Evan had brought up in, in either an interview or a video that you had stumbled upon, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, and actually the interesting part about that is it was the interviewer that told this to Evan. He actually was not aware of that connection, which I think makes it all the more cool that he ended up picking a marigold for some of the themes of this album because, yes, exactly what you said, it's believed that the spirits of the dead visit the living during the Dila de los Muertos, and marigolds are supposed to guide the spirits to the altars that they put out during this day because of the vibrant colors and that pungent scent. So it really is almost like a flower that's supposed to bring somebody back from the dead. And the fact that Evan didn't know this when he chose the marigold for this album mentions some other flowers that he does mention in some of the songs symbolizing death. To not know that this one symbolizes coming out of death I thought was really, really mm-hmm. interesting. It was, those are one of those times where you just think maybe there's some other spirit at work behind some of these things when an artist reaches for a muse or inspiration that really maybe is even beyond them. How did, how did he receive that? Was, was he fairly surprised, amused? Did that connect with him? Yeah, he connected with him. He thought it was really interesting and he was surprised that he hadn't heard that prior to the interview. Awesome. That, that, that's really cool. Uh, a musician, a lyricist, learning potentially another layer of of their own art that they've put out there from from a listener. The real joy, I'm sure, of of making music and sharing it with other people, connecting with people, and having that common interest. 
Well, now that we've gone through the track by track of this album, what made you pick this one, Shane? What stood out to you about this one? As I mentioned earlier, I first stumbled upon this album when I was driving to work, listening to Sirius XMU. There was a live interview that was going on at the time with the lead singer, Evan. He was discussing this new album and they were playing a few clips from it, similar to what we're doing on this podcast here. And I, and I thought there was something really powerful about the music, the album, the words that connected with him because he almost paused and hesitated and really took time to answer the questions. I could, I could tell there was a lot of deep thought that it, that it wasn't scripted at all, that he, he really had to think about how to explain what he was, what he was trying to convey. So I, I got the sense that it would be a great album for us to review because of the fact that some of the layers that he introduced related to the songs made me think that it was a, a pretty deep album. I, I hadn't, had no idea of the backstory and, and some of the potential connections that we've drawn, that we've discussed here after doing our research. I didn't know any of that information prior to being exposed to the album. And I think having discovered that, it made it an even more powerful and dense album for us to try to unpack and, and discuss, which ended up being a challenging but rewarding process for us to partake in. But I also really enjoyed the the sound of the clips that they played. I believe I heard that song Spiral and immediately it got stuck in my head. I was marinating on that all day at work, repeating some of those lines, probably inserting my line about coffee, good coffee <laughs> yeah, or something like that. <laughs> oh, drink water, drink coffee. <laughs> and I, I had a sense that it would be a good, good album for us to do. I, I went and, and listened to it straight through before doing any research and I, I thought it was pretty good overall. I mentioned it to you and it, it sounded like you knew the band and, and uh, were impressed with some of the older music that they'd put out already. I had no idea at the time that we would uncover so many layers and end up discussing various themes and topics that have been covered in this album. I didn't realize that it would become a concept album in my mind that I would see those connections and appreciate it in storybook like form. There were some really good themes. I know we we tried hard to detach the the songs and lyrics from what we know about the incident and events that occurred in the year or two before this album was released and not make them all autobiographical. But if we strip that component away and simply look at this character who's going through this difficult time period, I think you can extract from that some really important themes that have the ability to, to connect to nearly anyone because at, at some point in everybody's life, they will go through something that may invoke a lot of these emotions. I wrote down five themes that I thought were really apparent throughout this album. Number one, patience. I, I think even though we see and hear lots of anxiety, fear, frustration, concern, there there is this element of patience, whether it's forced at the beginning or chosen after a while toward the middle of the album where where we see elements where the character has accepted the fact that they have to 
stay in the moment and, and go through this. They know they need to be patient and let it play out. Number two I wrote down was process, that every everything in life has a process that has to play out. The third theme I wrote down was change. I think there's there's a lot of songs here and lyrics that talk about change in, in some form or another. Awareness, reflecting on the past, thinking about your thoughts, having that metacognition and trying to sort through everything to understand it, to move past it. And then finally being present, being in the moment, letting things happen, dealing with them as they come, trying to stay positive, optimistic and work through things, knowing that there has been this difficult time, this challenge, but that in staying the course, potentially there can be some resolution in the end. I think that's what we see at the end with the marigold finally blooming. There's a sense of hope and peace, maybe some unresolved issues that's not totally clear, but at least that this character is heading in the right direction. Yeah, those are great themes. I can see those popping up as well. I'm glad that you picked it. For me, it was definitely one that grew on me. I have to say, when I first started listening to it, I was familiar with Cardinal, but for some reason, on the first few listens, I wasn't immediately drawn into this one. I think that some of the surface-level emo side, coupled with the fact that I did learn about the incident that was hanging over this album fairly early on, made it a little bit hard for me to connect right away and detach myself from that or know when to insert or detach that element within our analysis of this. Regardless of that particular content, just the style that he writes in, it's very earnest. I think you have to decide to, for lack of a better term, go there with him. It's laid on a little bit heavy initially right out of the gate. His earnest presentation, that criticism that you had on the neighbor, maybe taking yourself a little bit too seriously on lines like, I guess I desecrate everything. I can see that criticism, but you, you kind of have to decide that you're going to go there. And then once you do, he does take you into his world and you get to think about what it might be like in his head. I know that you mentioned that he writes lyrics that he's trying to convey outward feeling rather than inward. I have to say I don't necessarily get that when I listen to his music. I definitely feel a lot of inward pull, but I also don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. There's times that I decide I do want to go there with an artist and some of my favorite artists really require you to do that. And it's hit or miss for me on the ones that I really like or the ones I think maybe is a bit too much. And this one, after several listens, I decided that I was enjoying going there and obviously getting to talk about it with you was was icing on the cake for that. So I'm really glad that you picked it. It's been uh, fun talking about it with you on this podcast. Yeah, it's it's been a really fun experience. I'll definitely look back and remember this album for a while. I think having done all the research and digging into the lyrics and understanding contextually why the songs were placed where they were allowed me and us to appreciate the entire body of work of the album. On top of the fact that musically it was really fun to listen to it. I think it's it's a it's an album that you could play for somebody in the background and you would probably have a good time. You would you would enjoy it. It would be pleasant. That's true. Without even knowing how how deep it really goes when when you understand the backstory. One thing that I would definitely agree with you that there's there's nothing wrong with an artist coming off a bit inward with some of their 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 music. It, it, 
it's good to, to reach out and connect with people, but I, I don't think there's a problem in sharing personal emotions and feelings. In fact, I, I almost enjoy it. I'm, I'm enlightened or uh, thankful that they're willing to go there and share some feelings that might connect to some intimate personal events in their life because it gives you a, a glimpse of who they are and helps you understand them as a person and, and uh, potentially an artist or musician. But I, I also think that people are a lot more alike than they are different. And even though somebody might be speaking inwardly, listeners still have the ability to relate to that and say, hey, you know, I can I can see myself in that person's shoes. I've, I've felt that way before, maybe related to a, a totally different issue or incident or set of events, but that I, I'm, I'm glad to know there's other people out there that are suffering from insomnia or going through difficult times in their life, have, having fear and anxiety, and, and that there's also hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a silver lining. There's there's a flower that can bloom that that uh, can be a symbol that you've you've moved past it. So I th- I think a lot of people could connect to this and and it has the ability for them to then look inward amongst themselves too and think about who they are, where they've been, and maybe it has the ability to help them get through whatever's going on in their life. Uh, well said. I think that's a good place to. And here on this one. Good pick, Shane. Yeah, th- thanks for going through this album with me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Well, we're back to an older album next, so stay tuned for that one. And until then, go dive into a good album. Peace. Late. If you're enjoying listening to Album Divers, you can support our podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing it with someone else that appreciates great music. Follow and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Divers. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about our take on an album that you already loved or had never heard before. Do you have an album you want us to dive into? Email us at albumdiverspodcast at gmail.com and we'll consider adding it to our queue for a future episode. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you never stop discovering music that moves you to dive deeper. Until next time. <laughs>